does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is fourth and a yard for the Colts. The line of scrimmage is the 15-yard line. Texans 23, Colts 17, fourth down and one. Goods in the back left. Minshew out of the gun. Colts down by six. Minshew's going to throw. Caught. No, it's dropped. Dropped the ball. In the far left he dropped the ball. He had he a first down, but he dropped the ball in the far flat. He could not bring in the catch. So that's how it sounded, and with that, on Saturday night, the Indianapolis Colts season comes to an end at the hand of the now AFC South champion Houston Texans after the fourth and one play, and we will talk kind of turning the page more today than looking back at that game on Query and Company here on a Monday. How are you? My name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook here as well. But the Colts will be the epicenter of conversation today. goes without saying as the NFL playoffs are set and it is without the Indianapolis Colts. So even though we're going to, I think, kind of move forward in terms of where you go from here, I want to begin with talking about that particular play. I have said for a long time, That oftentimes when teams lose and their season is eliminated, the eliminating game is often a microcosm of the season in totality. And I think there's some truth to it on that play because there's a lot of fault is maybe the wrong word. There are areas on that particular play that you can look at and say, you know, was it an errant throw by Gardner Minshew? Did he did he throw a little bit behind Goodson and that caused for an issue? Well, you kind of knew all season long, did you not, that you were, as I said, donut tire with a backup quarterback. You can only, they're, they're only designed or supposed to be there to take you so far. And kudos to Gardner Minshew that the Colts were in that position in a year when, without Gardner Minshew, probably they're never in that position once Anthony Richardson went down, I mean. And other things over the course of the game itself, the microcosm showed itself. I thought, for the most part, in the course of the season, the Colts' pass rush at times was really good, but for the most part was inconsistent. DeForest Buckner had a big play for them on Saturday, but other guys, you were waiting for them to to make plays, and they just didn't do it in terms of their pass rush. Um, Juju Brents had a season that that tantalized you a little bit, and you saw his skill set, his size, his athleticism that allowed him and was the reason why he was put in the position that he was as a young player. But once again, injuries for him were an issue, and he leaves the game injured. They, from an offensive line standpoint, I thought played pretty well. They protected Gardner Minshew. They did not actively get to C.J. Stroud, who they let get comfortable, and their defensive backfield you know, allowed big chunk plays. So there were a lot of things that went into it. But in terms of the fourth and one, 
that's one of those plays, truth be told, that if it works and it was right there for it to work, then that's a genius play call. Holy cow. Shane Steichen is, this guy is literally like Dr. Frankenstein. He was in the lab and he came up with a play that nobody expected. Whoever would have thought that with the season on the line, only the most brilliant of coaches would go with a backup quarterback throwing to a fourth string running back who has had six targets through the air all season and has carried the ball and touched the ball a total of 19 times all season. And they call up that and nobody expected it. And it saves their season, and they get a first down or a score on that play, and they win the game, and here you are. The next day, Jacksonville chokes, and the Colts are the AFC South champions. That's how it could have gone. But it's a game of, like, inches or feet, and in that case, that ball was inches or feet away. Simple way to say it, in my opinion, is this. Personnel aside, when you have to go one yard, Everything rests on three feet. You've got to go one yard. And in that situation, strictly my opinion, you go with the play with the fewest number of potential negative outcomes. And when you run a pass play, you have a higher percentage of potential negative outcomes. You have a drop pass. You have an interception. You have a sack. There are just a number of things that you, you you take in when you put it into a formula. There is a, a larger number of potential negatives than simply, and this is the thing that I know is not probably even the most original of thought. But, Jimmy, the reality is this. The storyline at the beginning of the year for the Colts was about Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor wanted more money. Yeah, I know that we can say that he had the back injury and the ankle and what Jonathan Taylor wanted to get paid. And Jonathan Taylor held out and Jonathan Taylor said, I want top NFL running back money. And Jim Irsay came out and said, you know, this is not about like the NFL running backs resetting the the base for what they should get paid. And there was this little war of words and this little subtlety between them and this little tug of war of power. And in the end, Jonathan Taylor won. Jonathan Taylor won because Jonathan Taylor said, I need to get paid. And guess what? The Colts finally caved. They, they played hardball, and Chris Ballard really looked like a tough guy and all that. But in the end, they they, they, they caved. I'm, I'm literally doing, like on a Saturday afternoon, I am emceeing the wiener dog races at German Fest in front of the Raskeller when all of a sudden my phone blows up because Jonathan Taylor just got an extension and got paid. And guess what? In the biggest game of the year, Jonathan Taylor showed why they gave him that money. Win-win. He got paid, and the Colts had a guy that was going to carry them to a win. Period. But the other area that Chris Ballard has always taken great pride, has always made his calling card, is in the trenches, offensive line, and they have a guy that they gave $20 million a year to at the guard position. And this year, just in terms of, now, you know, contracts get staggered and whatever else. This year, you're looking at $17.5 million against your cap hit between Quentin Nelson and Jonathan Taylor. And all the drama and all the flexing and all the tough guy stuff and all the hard line stuff 
with Jonathan Taylor and Jonathan Taylor wanting to get paid and the Colts wanting to re- saying that you know he, he's playing hardball and whatever else. And then in the end, the Colts cave to it. And Jonathan Taylor uncorks a huge run and is, has a huge game and is pushing for 200 yards. And he is the reason the Colts are within sight of the AFC South. And then when it comes to it, when it comes down to the season in the balance, instead of taking the play that has the lesser number of potential negative outcomes and saying, we are going to put our money right here down on it where our bread is buttered and we're going to hand it to the guy that in the end we back down to and paid like he should get paid, who has proven over the course of this game why he's getting paid like that, and we are going to run him right behind the guy that we made a huge paid left guard, even though most would say that's not an area where you should invest a lot of money, but we believe in it, and he's one of our calling cards. So Jonathan Taylor behind Quentin Nelson for one yard because when the season's on the line, you push all your chips in on what you most believe in and what you most are, and you say, come and stop us. And they got away from that and got too cute. And so as a result of that, we are now talking about other teams in the NFL playoffs and not the Indianapolis Colts. But that's not to say that there's not plenty to actually be optimistic about, which we will be over the course of today as we take a look back at the 23 Colts. But good afternoon to you again on a Monday. Jake Query here, Jimmy Cook. Your thoughts overall on the Colts season and where they go from here. In terms of the Colts season, it's hard to not look at it in a long line of disappointments over the last four or five seasons where they've had opportunities in the final weeks to close out a playoff spot. I look more at the loss to Atlanta where it felt like a can-have-it, gotta-have-it type of game over the Christmas holiday that did not come to fruition for them, then it all comes down to a winner-take-all contest. Jake, I gotta be honest, watching the final drive, it was maddeningly frustrated at, at times how either little they, they trusted their passing game and how much they relied on Jonathan Taylor to a point that I thought it was going to cost them. Like a couple times in that last drive, it's no gain or it's a negative one-yard play. Yes, he winds up having a five-yard carry, a four-yard carry here and there, and they wind up getting enough balance to get themselves in position to have one play to save the season. But in today's NFL It's not really a yard anymore when you're out of the shotgun, right? You're looking for four or five yards. And the way that line played on that final drive, I get it. That's who you want in your corner. That's who you invested in. You got to take with the, got to dance with the partner you brought, right? It makes a lot of sense to run the ball there. That said, I saw many a third and fourth down converted in yesterday's games alone by teams with a similar concept of getting somebody out in the flat and going to pick up that yard. That's a modern way of doing things in the NFL. I'm not going to fully defend what Shane Steichen did, but you can rewatch that play as many times, and yes, you know the drop's coming. He's wide open. That's a first down. Might even be a touchdown. I don't know why it's Tyler Goodson out there. I don't know why it couldn't have been JT, who's caught passes before. I don't know why you couldn't put a wide receiver out there in the backfield. Even if they know at that point it might be a passing situation, why you wouldn't have somebody you more trust within that offense to go get that yard. I don't blame Tyler Goodson at all. He shouldn't have been put in that situation. But some people don't like this commentary that's been in the media the last 48 hours, which has been a players versus plays type of conversation. And that's really what it is. The reason you can look at this season 
with some positive takeaways is Shane Steichen's ability as a play caller, but why, from a personnel standpoint, they went with Tyler Goodson there with the season on the line, I'll never get. And yes, the throw's a bit behind him, but he shouldn't have been put in that situation in the first place. And yes, the obvious answer is probably just run the ball to your multi-million dollar running back and trust the multi-million dollar offensive line and see if they can go get it downhill. But in terms of what they did from an execution standpoint, it's wide open. They have it. Goodson drops the ball. I don't think it was necessarily getting too cute outside of who they put on the field for that final play. Do you want to know why the Colts are, and this has meant half-flippant, not harsh, but, but it's reality, microcosm, okay? The beginning of the season, the Colts had four guys on the outside of their building, right? Four banners. Who are the four players? Eddie Garrison? Who are the four players the Indianapolis Colts have hanging on banners outside Lucas Oil Stadium to begin the year? To begin the year, it was Shaq Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Jonathan Taylor, I forget, uh, DeForest Buckner. Buckner, right? Okay. So Buckner makes a big play for you in that game. He's been a great player. The other three guys that the Colts had on their season, uh, on the stadium for the season, one of them didn't make it to the end of the season, and the other, when the game was on the line, they were the two guys you went away from. And then the replacement was Kenny Moore. And Kenny Moore, you know, had a nice year. You know, has been a good player. But my point being... To your point, Jimmy, you can sit there and tell me all you want. I don't mean you. I'm saying the Colts or whoever. That the modern NFL says that you go to like a flare pass to your running back when you need a yard out of the gun. Fine. But the modern NFL isn't the one that was printing hats and t-shirts and sending out tweets that said run the damn ball. Right? Yeah. Don't tell me who you are and then when it comes down to it, decide that you don't believe in who you are. Have a conviction of who you are and go with it. But overall, and this is the big thing. So so overall, let's go back to August. It's mid-August. I'm walking from my car to a tent at Grand Park in Westfield. Seems like a week ago. I hear a rooster. I'm doing the morning show with Kevin Bowen. And we get out there. One of the days we were out there, it was absolutely freezing. Picking I, up at least animal I dung. Was. Correct. It was like I, I get out there and it's like probably 60 degrees. I thought it was 20. And I see a large pile of what looks to be grass clippings sitting away from the table. And I say to myself, how in the world on an NFL practice field in a manicured place like this where every blade of grass is the exact same height did a dog manage to come out here and drop a deuce right here on the practice field? And I say, I, I think there's like dog dew on the field. And Kevin Bowen goes, no, it's just grass clippings. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's dog dew. So Kevin gets up to go analyze it. And take a look at it, right? And at that time, the study and the analysis of whether or not it was the the droppings of a dog or coyote on the practice field were seemingly the most like dissected part of the Colts training camp. Because in the 2023 season, what we knew going into it was that there wasn't a whole lot to dissect other than you have a new quarterback, you have a new head coach, 
And this year was really just about making sure those two were off and running. (coughs) And that you could take the training wheels off of both of them and get them out there to play comfortable and get their feet underneath them before the 2024 season would be the first time that you were really cruising along and finding out what you had. And then Anthony Richardson got hurt. Gardner Minshew became your quarterback. And kudos to the Colts because they exceeded all expectation. And in the end, in a vacuum, you can say that Saturday night was a colossal disappointment, which it was. It was disappointing to have that game that close in the grasp of your hands. And just like that pass, it filtered right through your fingers, the entire opportunity. And then the insult to injury to know that that actually, and there's no guarantee if he makes that catch and then gets tackled and they don't score the touchdown that they end up getting a touchdown on that drive anyway, but it certainly feels that way. But to know that that entire scenario is what stood between you and the possibility of hosting a playoff game as a divisional champion. In a vacuum, that's a colossal disappointment. But in totality for the season, when you look back a month from now, when the dust has settled and the disappointment's gone away, you have to look at it and say, we are ahead of schedule. You know, it's it's disappointing that the Indiana Pacers lost to the Lakers and just couldn't get offensive footing in the in-season tournament. In a vacuum, that was a huge disappointment. But now, like a month later, you look back on it and you go, that in-season tournament was awesome because it, it it instilled a lot of excitement and suddenly people were talking about the Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton got on the map where other players might want to come here and they learned how to play and they learned what it's going to take in the postseason and what a win that was in, in totality. But in a vacuum, it was disappointing. And so when you look at this season, which we will do for the next week or so, clearly, And where you go from here, I think there are more. On that final play, they went with the play that had more potential negatives than positives. But on the season, when you look back at it, there are more potential positives than negatives. But the reason that we look at that play and say it had more potential negatives is the inherent starting point, which is you have a backup quarterback there, and that's not a fault of anybody other than the injury bug, right? You can't bank on your starting quarterback getting hurt. But you'd seen Minshew to that point in time. So I get it. You're already starting in a negative stance because it's a backup QB in that position. But the reason you can point to it with a play, Jake, that has so many negative outcomes goes back to the larger issue at hand, which is what are they going to do this offseason to improve the offense? And yes, it's clear that they need help in the secondary. We've known that since training camp, that they were going to ask so much of Juju Brent, who winds up getting injured in that game against the Texans, but you're going to ask so much of a rookie corner with how depleted this group is. So yes, I'm willing to have that debate another day of, oh, what's more important, cornerback or wide receiver or a standalone tight end, or maybe you think you have that in Will Mallory. Again, that's all further in the coming weeks type of conversation. But the reason that's a low percentage play for the Colts, at least in your mind, and why if this is Miami or Baltimore or Buffalo why a play call like that is high percentage? Because you have playmakers on the field in the pass-catching department. And you can make an argument they still have some of those here in Indy, 
but they were not who the play was designed for when the game was on the line. It was for Tyler Goodson, who again, I hold no fault to him, but that's that's who you chose there. You could have had tight ends down near the line of scrimmage and had like a pick pattern that way for the flat route. You didn't have to do it out of the backfield with Goodson. You could have put Josh Downs in the backfield with you instead and run that same concept. But instead, you go with good side. That's my but larger of course, frustration. The thought there. process is going to be if Josh Downs is there, they, and and that right, happens, I get it. then they're, everybody they're knows that's where on, it's going. Right? right. They're yeah. going to key in on maybe it's him. Now, the one thing you will say is if you have Jonathan Taylor back there with him, then maybe it becomes a little bit easier Correct. because Goodson has fewer eyes on him. But Shane Steichen today did talk to the media just about an hour and a half ago. One of the questions, of course, that was asked is. You know, since that time, a lot of fans still talking about that play. Clearly, we are as well. I promise we won't do it for three solid hours today. But Shane Steichen, question is, after the fact, are you still second-guessing yourself or were you ever second-guessing yourself about that play call? You know, when it doesn't work, you're always going to think about it. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, have I stopped thinking about that play? No, I haven't. Um, It was a huge play in the game. Um, Got the look we wanted, and it didn't work out. And... uh, that's that's football sometimes, and uh, it is frustrating. It's disappointing, but again, uh, faith and trust in anyone we put on that field to go make a play. Again, I think it just goes down to if if you run the ball, you basically have to do one thing: you got to have a clean handoff, and you got to have a slight hole, and you got to get a guy a yard. When you pass the ball, there are just you are allowing your open. I don't care who it is. I don't care if you got Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. There. I, I, I'd, I'd push back on that part. If you have elite position players, I'm very confident in that play. Again, at the core, what I'm saying is, no matter you are correct. If you have elite play, but but what I'm saying is, in a scientific study, like in a in a vacuum, like if you break it down, a pass play has a pass play needs a higher number of executions to go flawless than does a run play in its in its basic form a run play you need a clean handoff and you need you know the defense can always come through make a tackle whatever you have a fewer percentage of failures on a run play for one yard on a pass play you have to have a clean snap then you have to have a clean throw then you have to have a catch then you have to have that catch to be for more than a yard there are a higher percentage sure. to, regardless of personnel and they went with the play that those variables, one of the variables that you increased on your odds, fell short for you. And that is that you did not have a clean pass or catch, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, but the bottom line is this, Jimmy. The reality is that a year from now, two years from now, yeah, we'll always talk about that disappointment of that player, that game. But the true measuring stick of how the impact of that play probably comes on where the Colts go from here. If the Colts come back next year and are able to put together what we hope and think is going to be the case for Anthony Richardson and he is able to become the player that it is thought that he is going to be, then, you know, you look back at this year and you go, yeah, I mean, that was disappointing, but in reality – what a great year for those guys to have put themselves even in that position. They just arrived a year early. What you have to hope now is that, and if Anthony Richardson next year comes out and as the kids say, balls out, then the reality is that he is a year behind C.J. Stroud, who 
clearly is going to be a problem for a long time in the AFC South. Good player. And I know that I'm a bit of an apologist for Trevor Lawrence and the and the way things ended this year for Jacksonville are really bad, but I think he was hurt. I mean, I really do think that we're going to find out that he played an example yesterday with a shoulder injury. I mean, they couldn't keep him clean all year. And his leading receiver went down for, as soon as their year went south, it's because their leading receiver went down. But, you know, I mean, you would at least say that Maybe Trevor Lawrence isn't Peyton Manning, but he is still a competent long-term franchise quarterback. Sure. So it's going to be a division that's going to have really good quarterback play for a really long time. Really long time. And But now you have to hope and assume that the Colts are one of those that has a quarterback there for them that is a a guy that you can build around. But it it remains to be seen because next year – Everything starts over, and we now know a couple of things. We know who the Colts are going to face next year and where they're going to do it. We know where they're going to draft, and we know what one of their key free agents might be thinking heading into the offseason. And I'll tell you who I'm talking about and what he said earlier today that is interesting for the Colts as we roll along here on a Monday on Query Company 93.5-1075 The Fan. Over the course of this week, we'll kind of do an inventory of where the Colts are from position standpoints. You know, which which areas need the most improvement, which areas perhaps, you know, oftentimes there are some guys that we can look at and say, yeah, I thought they played pretty well, but perhaps the front office or the coaches have a different standpoint and vice versa. They have a number of players that are entering into free agency this year. Some of them pretty intriguing. I mean, Grover Stewart is obviously pretty important. Rigoberto Sanchez, one that is a position that yeah, I thought probably after coming off the injury, he actually had a couple of nice punts on Saturday. But, you know, for the most part, probably a fungible position where they might be able to find something elsewhere. Um, and... Gardner Minshew, another one, a decision that you got to make, Tyquan Lewis. But none is bigger, obviously, than Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman Jr. has, at the beginning of the year and over the course of the season, I am the first to admit where I was probably wrong with him. And by that, I mean, I thought he was a really good player that was a primarily possession receiver where you was and was a guy that you could upgrade the position from him and I will take that back now and admit where I was wrong and I think I realize now that for Michael Pittman the real for the Colts the the thing they need to determine now is not whether or not Michael Pittman Jr. is the guy the thing now that becomes the question that question mark that focus that spotlight that onus shifts from Michael Pittman to Alec Pierce because Michael Pittman Jr. has shown that he is a reliable target that brings his lunch pail day in and day out, and you know what you're going to get from him. And we thought that Michael Pittman Jr. was a guy that, well, you know, he's just, I don't know if he's the everyday receiver because he doesn't get behind the defense. They have a guy that can get behind the defense. He just hasn't been able to make plays once he's back there. And what they have to determine is 
Is that because Alec Pierce is not consistent enough? Or is it because they have not had a consistent arm to take advantage when Alec Pierce is behind Michael Pittman? So the real question is, do they have the right, is is the missing ingredient in terms of the the lightning to the thunder of Michael Pittman, is it that Alec Pierce needs to be upgraded or is it that they upgrade the arm talent to take advantage of Alec Pierce? And that's for the Colts to decide. And they're going to get another year to do that, obviously. But Pittman entering free agency, I think it's very clear that he becomes a target, pardon the pun, of their off-season free agency. And he did... Talk today. This from Stephen Holder on Twitter X, whichever way you want to call it. Wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. indicates he is interested in testing the market to at least see what's out there as a free agent. Says he and the Colts agreed to hold off on talks until after the season, so unclear whether a resolution can come before free agency opens. Jimmy, the reality is that is Michael Pittman's responsible thing to say. If I'm his agent, I am begging him to take that standpoint. Right, yeah. I mean, you, it, it's a it's a neutral position of I've earned the right to be a free agent based on the rules of the league. I'd be a fool not to see what's out there. It's not saying one or another whether he's done with the Colts. It's not a firm commitment that he wants to come back. It is just I want to explore what my options are. That's a standard operating procedure answer. The reality is that we had talked about the franchise tag is going to get him somewhere around twenty three million. I'd mark it, yeah, probably somewhere between 21 and 23. To, over the cap has it at 21 next year, but I don't know what their model's based off of. That's what I look at a lot of salary stuff for. But yeah, I think it could be as high as 23, depending on deals that are done. And he basically said, Michael Pittman Jr., hey, listen, $23 million is $23 million. I mean, I, if the cap is the, if the, if I'm tagged, I'm tagged, and I can live with that. But I owe it to myself to see what's out there. Yep. And it absolutely is the smartest play that he can have to say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to just go ahead and, you know, I, if he came out right now and said, let's say, give me a give me a random, not very good team that would be a sucky place to live that nobody talks about in the NFL that seems like it'd be purgatory that nobody wants to go play for who has a bad quarterback. Arizona. Okay. Who would want to live in Arizona and play with Kyler Murray? I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. But, okay, Arizona. Good example. Because Arizona is a place that, like, guys have gone and, and you know, gotten gotten a big contract or whatever. So let's say Arizona. If if Michael Pittman Jr. comes out right now and says, look, my, my hope is to be here, and I'm hoping to get this done do, this deal done soon, and I believe in this franchise and Anthony Richardson, and I, I bleed, I am for the shoe. If he comes out and says that, and the Arizona Cardinals – have circled on their mark, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy that they want to explore. While I don't think that that, that teams work this way, the reality is they may say, you know what, we were talking about Pittman Jr., but then there's also a receiver for the Rams we could go after, so it sounds like he might be more plausible, so let's go that route. And then, or Arizona comes to Michael Pittman Jr. and says, hey, we're willing to pay you right now $28 million a year. Well, now he can go back to the Colts and say, look, I got an offer from Arizona for $28 million a year, and now all of a sudden the Colts are paying twenty nine. So it is in his best interest 
to say that he's open to exploring so that maybe that phone call comes from the Arizona that drives up his price tag. He may he may have no desire to be anywhere but here. But it's in his best interest, Jimmy, to kind of look like maybe he'd be open to it, right? So that makes sense. I mean, it's perfect gamesmanship from a free agent. No, it's what you would expect from any player of his caliber, especially at that position. The answer to the question, though, and I this isn't even a hot take, the goal of next year, yes, the defense needs to be cleaned up, but the goal of next year should make sure that life is as easy as possible for Anthony Richardson. And while I don't think that Michael Pittman Jr. is as good as like the top five or top ten wide receivers in the league, I do think he is an incredibly talented wide receiver that clearly helps this offense that a lot of teams would bend over backwards for. Like I would, I would jump through hoops if Kansas City made an offer to Michael Pittman Jr., for example. They're going to need wide receiver help this offseason. I'm sure that Bengals fans, if T. Higgins departs, they're going to have some cap space to play with. Maybe that would be a look they give. But if you get outbid, or if you feel like you're going to get outbid, or if you don't want to spend $27, $28 million, if that's what ends up happening, you tag him. It's a non-starter for me at this point. Because I don't trust the front office as a whole to upgrade this wide receiver room in one offseason. And you can't start the offseason and start your draft prep with your best weapon in the passing game wearing a different uniform. If he wants more money and you don't want to match it, you tag him for one year just for the sake of the development of Anthony Richardson and the health of the offense. Doesn't mean you still don't draft a guy in April, but you, you cannot let him leave under no circumstance can Michael Pittman Jr. not be a Colt next year. What about Gardner Minshew? Do you put a hard cap on what you, you pay to bring him back? And in, in today's day where, you know, there are some bad quarterbacks in the NFL, man, right? So in today's day of the NFL, did Gardner Minshew this season perhaps even drive his tag up a little bit or his price tag up a little bit from a franchise that needs him in the same realm that the Colts needed Matt Ryan? Yeah, there's got to be somebody out there that's looking for a Band-Aid quarterback, right? And they're going to overpay for a Gardner Minshew. Do you get into that bidding war for the Colts, or do you let them walk? And do you say, we are all in on Richardson, and that's it, and if he can't play for us next year, so be it. You don't get into a bidding war for Gardner Minshew. Yes, you need a backup quarterback. Every team wants a backup quarterback you can count on, but you can't be paying an extra luxury for that with where a rookie contract is for what you think is your franchise quarterback. At this stage, and I, I tweeted this yesterday, somebody mentioned that you can't bank on Richardson staying healthy and you can't bank on him being a good or great quarterback. Well, you have to bank on that. That's the bed you've made. You, you made a decision last year that he is your face of the franchise. And with where you put yourself, again, I never thought they should really like necessarily tank this year, but with what happened this season... You don't have the luxury of like the Bears, for example, where it's like, oh, well, this Justin Fields thing might not be working out. We're just going to take Caleb Williams. That's not the boat that you have with you right now. What you have is not necessarily maybe chips all in or all chips in for the Colts, but you have a, this is who we're building with. And there's other needs on this team than paying a premium for a backup QB. You can find somebody else that is serviceable. But at the end of the day, the reason I wouldn't overpay Jake You've seen where this train ends. If your argument, not yours, but a Colts fan's argument is, no, Alec Pierce is a talented wide receiver. Just look who's throwing him the ball. The arm strength isn't there. Well, if that's the argument, 
and Richardson gets hurt again, the season's over anyway. Like, there's, there's no reason to splurge on Minshew as a break glass in case of emergency if Richardson goes down right. because you know how the race ends if he's your workhorse. Good point. Really good point. You know, I mean, he, he got you right to the break this year, but in the end, you know, you kind of saw what – it was the donut tire, right? Now, if he doesn't get overpaid, I'm all for bringing him back. If it's a team-friendly contract, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Gardner Minshew in terms of – and by the way, 239-1070 is the telephone number because we're going to open it up for you folks to opine as well. And, you know, group therapy, if you will, before Mike Chappell joins us at 1 o'clock, Rick DeMulling at 2 p.m. today. But we will take phone calls over the course of today – so if there is that Colts question and or comment that you've been dying to get out there, uh, feel free to let us know because we're doing open forum today for sure. In terms of Minshew, Jimmy, to your point, he is, as we've seen, and kudos to him. He had a good year and he got a bonus for it. There's a reason they gave him, a, you know, that he cashed in on a big bonus. But the... I'm going to go back to my donut tire analogy. I mean, he is a valuable piece to have if you get yourself in a situation next year where Anthony Richardson has a twisted ankle where he might be out for two or three games, which, by the way, Jason Tatum ankle issue out tonight for the Pacers-Celtics game at Gambridge Fieldhouse. But if Jonathan Taylor, or excuse me, if Anthony Richardson's out two or three games next year and you're in the thick of it, Gardner Minshew at that point is absolute gold to bring him in and plug him in to maintain the level to keep you within consistency. But if in week three, to your point, Anthony Richardson goes down, at that point, probably the years are wash anyway, right? Yes. We know that now, to your point. And next year, it only gets tougher in terms of the schedule. The road schedule next year for the Colts, in case you have not seen it. Obviously at Houston, at Jacksonville, and at Tennessee. Goes without saying. Then there are away games. At the Jets, at the Patriots, at the New York Football Giants, at Green Bay. You're starting to play well, by the way, with Jordan Love. At Minnesota, and at Denver. But the home schedule, some of the teams coming here to Lucas Oil, the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Detroit Fighting Motman Lions, and the Chicago Bears. So your home slate right there outside the division, four teams that are coming off a of postseason. So it does get tough, right? Yeah, I mean, we knew this, especially, I mean, look, you want the division title, right? There's no scenario where I'm going to sit here and say, oh, well, it's a good thing they didn't win the South because now they have an easier schedule. No, but it's not the last place schedule that you had a year ago, right? It's not in the same capacity of the opponents you're going to be facing. They are going to be tested next year, and you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, Jake. It's a de facto rookie season for Anthony Richardson with expectations applied, all the more reason now to do whatever it takes to oversupply weapons to him to make life easier. The it is interesting when it comes to Richardson. I'm not going to say he's the forgotten entity of this year, but it is it's easy to think like, "Well, wait a minute, like Anthony Richardson, you know, next year Anthony Richardson, the keys are handed over to him." And all of this what applies and what doesn't. And what did he learn this year? Shane Steichen addressed that. We'll get to that and 
your thoughts as well on the Colts as the season has come to a close. 239-1070, the telephone number, Mike Chappell at 1. Querying Company here on a Monday. Hey, listen. I'm an indie guy through and through, right? I'm an Indiana guy through and through. Like, you, you cut me, I bleed the torch, right? So I understand people's disappointment. I understand the gloom of doom that went over this city after a weekend where you saw, you know, the Pacers lose to Boston, the Colts lose to the Texans. IU won, right? Purdue still ranked number one. That's cool. Butler was there with UConn. Just couldn't get enough stops late. There you go, right? So I get it. And there's this long, like, slog of January that is literally just like, I mean, what's my favorite phrase, right? It's like the depressing day when you return to school after winter break and you're like, oh my gosh. Literally, it's like this nine-mile treadmill between now and spring break. But you know what? The sun was out this morning, right? Yeah. It's a little chilly, granted, but hey, it's a pretty day. Like, the Circle City delivers again. We're just going to sit around as a city and say, you know what? It's disappointing, but but let's look at the positives. And there are plenty of positives to look towards. But I also understand there's disappointment. Mike Chappell going to join us at one before then. Group therapy. Don joins us on yes. the program. Don, happy 2024. How are you? How are you? And happy the same to you. Thanks for getting me, guys. Hey, a uh, few different things. Um, we still got the Pacers to look forward to. They're going to be good this year. But my thing with the Colts is why – I mean, Steichen's already proved himself to him and he's going to be good, and I think he's going to make Anthony Richardson a very good quarterback. we got a lot to look forward to. But he ran the ball like two or three times in a row there when I think maybe he should have thrown a little uh, pass over the middle in there. And then at the end, he threw that high uh, wrist pass to the uh, sideline. Why didn't he throw Moss and uh, – Taylor in there, make him guess which one's getting the ball, and then maybe do a bootleg if you think you want to pass. Well, it. that's the thing. Yeah, I, I think, Don, that the real question becomes, and again, in a vacuum, you look at that one play, right? I'm, right. I'm an armchair quarterback. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I get that. Yeah. Well, I like Don. Here, Don, let me tell you something. Now, you just sound like a fun guy. Have you called the show before? I, I have, and I've also talked to you at uh, the Auto Source over in Speedway. Because uh, I just over like. I like your honesty about the fact that you're like, hey, I admit it, I'm an armchair quarterback, right? Like, yeah, Mike, I'm like you as well. I was a Steelers fan. I'm still a Steelers fan, but I'm I'm going toward the Colts more and more, and I'm not really that disappointed. It's bittersweet because I didn't expect this out of them. So now, you know, Don, here's my 2024 New Year's resolution goal. Are you ready? Yes, sir. My goal in 24 is at some point in a sporting event to sit in the armchair across the room from you and watch a game with a PBR and or Diet Coke. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's my, We're going to be armchair quarterbacks, Don, and we're going to solve the world's problems together. All right? I think I could. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate I it, Don. Don, All you right, are the yeah. director of world problem solving here on the program. And listen. And I, I think I... Uh, sorry about that, Don. Uh, Eddie with the quick trigger. I, hardest part of our job, by the way, is to know when to drop a call without sounding rude. I, I apologize there. Uh, but, but I get what he's saying, Jimmy. He's right. I mean... The, the reality is having another back in there, if you're going to run that play, that's cool. <clears throat> but having a, another one of the backs in there, which I would have gone with anyway, but a decoy probably would have worked even, even more so because eventually Houston was just going to load the box and they knew what was going to happen, right? And when you throw 
I'm saying I'm saying on that play, like when you have Goodson back there, why is he out there unless that's the guy that like you're gonna you, you know it's it's almost like you're you're outsmarting everybody, but the people you need to outsmart. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. The only thing I can think of, Taylor clearly had the ankle right. He gets handoff like nine straight times or at least nine times on that drive, and maybe they. I don't know why it was Goodson. I'll never understand why it was Goodson. Literally anybody else on that offense, I would have been okay with. But it is Goodson. Maybe he thought this play is so great, which it was. It, it It's there. It's a wide open look that I can get JT some rest. We're not giving Houston the ball back. Eddie and I talked about that during the break. That's why they were running the ball so much, because they didn't trust their defense if C.J. Stroud gets the ball back. Yeah, you're right. The only thing I can think of is maybe they thought this is going to work, which, again, it's open. And we'll get JT back out there for the final five plays of this drive. 17 and a half million, one yard. Yeah. Two, of, mean, the guy, two of the guys on the building, one yard. If you line up out of the gun with JT, that entire drive when you hand off to him, it's out of the gun. It's never Minshew under center. That does, pre, that does create an element of confusion for Houston defensively because maybe they do think you're going to hand off out of the gun. That's what a lot of teams do right. in that situation in today's NFL. And then if you have him go out in the flat instead, I just like him better in that situation than Goodson. Uh, Jonah, real quick, before we get to Mike Chapel, Vagabond Jonah, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Hey, you can hang up on me anytime you want. I wouldn't even be offended. <laughs> no worries. Hey, so, yeah, big bummer on Saturday night. I would like to make the playoffs, especially on a year where the Colts had no expectations to even compete for the title. But at the same time, long, long-term long plans, this will benefit the Colts. Um, you, you mentioned it with the scheduling. That the Texans have the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys instead of the Colts having them, and then also a higher draft pick. But one thing I want to mention, that, for, that I, I, outside of the fourth and one play, I was wondering why Jonathan Taylor, both times on first and second down, casually went out of bounds instead of staying inbounds to run the clock down. I just I felt like he could have gotten an extra yard or two possibly if he stayed inbounds and tried to force for those yards instead of going out of bounds to stop the clock. Yeah, you're not alone, Jonah. Weird. You you are not alone in that comment because several people pointed that out. I'm a great player, no doubt a great player, but in that moment, you you do stay in, and they had the, the Colts Burton an ill advised timeout earlier too, I, which hurt them right late in the game. That was, you know, obviously they couldn't, there was no chance of getting the ball back. That was on the radio network. I was listening to Matt and Rick at that point, and they both were like, oh, wait a minute. They don't have a timeout. You know, they're, they're, so there was a little bit of clock management that burnt them in the end as well. That's one of the things we'll talk about and more with Mike Chappell. We'll do it next. Joining us now on the program, as he does each and every Monday, and thankful for that, of course, the Dean of Writers when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts, Mike Chappell from. WXIN and CBS WTTV Channel 4. And, Chap, I'll begin by just kind of giving you the floor, if you will, in terms of you can take it as what went wrong on Saturday or what you're optimistic about in kind of turning over the page towards the offseason heading into next season and just your thoughts overall on where things are with the Indianapolis Colts. Well, this is one of those that you know, I asked a couple of players is, I mean, the, the suddenness of it's over and they're, they're not out there today planning to play next weekend or whatever. It's over. And they're, they're you know, they're cleaning out their lockers and some won't be back here, but even, even that in mind, we're out there in the press room 
Stephen Holder and Joel Erickson and all of us and James Lloyd. And we're talking over the fourth and one still because that's, you know, that's essentially why they're not still playing. I mean, they still had to score. Let's get that straight. They might have converted that and got stuffed. Who knows? But it, it's, it's, it's come down to fourth and one. It's time to move on, and we will. But the one thing that I'll say about the play is I'm not sure how, if you're sitting there in a vacuum and you say, we're going to draw up this play, and you're going to have your quarterback throwing a pass to a wide-open running back, you know, 10 yards. And if you, if you complete it, it's a first down, and then who knows? Everybody takes that. Everybody and they didn't execute it. And then the question is, my question wasn't so much the play. It was that they had planned on whenever that fourth and one, fourth and two, two-point conversion play was needed, it was going to include Tyler Goodson. In, in, during, so during the weekend practice, he was the primary guy. They all took reps because you don't know who's going to be, be available at the last part of a game, but I guess my my issue would have been having a player who had what was it six receptions and seven targets all year and was you know ten weeks on your practice squad and and this is not meant to be a, a pile on Tyler Goodson it's not at, at all but I would have preferred a better option on the play uh, and my goodness. T- uh, Gardner Minshew's got to make a better throw. Joel and I were talking about, I said I was like 60-40 on the throw was to blame and not to catch, and he said higher. And, and, and I would probably agree, higher. But I would rather have seen a better, a more not better, a more proven option in that situation. And that that goes back to them deciding that this guy, that Tyler Goodson, was their best pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, in in like we've said, if any play doesn't work, you should have done something else. Well, let's say they run. You know, and again, I, Stephen Holder, and he's right. I want my best player out there with the season and the division on the line, and that's Jonathan Taylor. And he had that super game. I went and looked. That's the that's the second most yardage by running back in franchise history in a loss, the one eighty eight. But he was hurt. Remember, he went to the locker room, and he wasn't the same player on that drive. He had like eight or nine carries, but he wasn't the same. So, yeah, give it to him and run behind your expensive line, I understand. And, and I'd have been okay with that. And if it doesn't work, you say, well, this this is where we are. This is our strength. But, boy, the way that play worked, or the, the way the play was drawn up and unfolded, gosh, make, make a – play that you you're going to make 98% of the time that that's what gets me and I I felt bad for Tyler Goodson in the locker room he stood there and took it uh but boy Minshew's got to just got to make a better pass and and if they do that who knows what we're talking about today but that that's what's so that's what's so cool about the the NFL is that it, it's it, it's such a topic of con- and and it's going to drive the topic of conversation for the next week and then at some point, hopefully, people will realize that while they had the division right there, I mean, who didn't expect Jacksonville to, to gag in Nashville? I mean, that, that was going to happen. And then you're playing this week at home. 
but hopefully people will, will be able to, you know, the, the, whatever the next stage of grief is, you can really appreciate what what this franchise achieved through so much of suspensions and injuries and losing your quarterback and more suspensions and and, and, and an arrest and all that. Nine and eight's pretty doggone good. Now it's it's that's not to, to say you're satisfied at all because because of what could have been. But anyone who thought this team was going to win nine games uh, either either gets checks signed by Jim Irsay or they're delusional because no one really saw that, even with Richardson. So, you know, it's one of those, yes, yes, be PO'd for a while and get it out of your system and then sort of appreciate what the foundation that was laid because, you know, the future looks pretty bright if, if Anthony Richardson is that guy. So, Chap, let me ask you a question, and maybe it's awfully Freudian of me. But to your point about the NFL, you know, one of the beauties of the NFL is in the end, more often than not, like water kind of finds its level. And I thought, to your point, you go back to August when we're sitting out there at Grand Park, nobody thought they were going to win nine games. But yet here it was one play away from a divisional championship for all intent. And again, we. Sure. We're acting like that was a touchdown play. They still would have had to score if they got the first down. Right. But you get my what, what I'm saying. Right. But a lot of a lot of things fell the way of the Colts this year. They faced a lot of teams whose quarterback had gone down. They as had theirs. They faced there were a lot of things that just the ball bounced their way, and they took advantage of that. And teams, you got to take advantage of it, and that is to their credit. But in the end, it's almost like the football gods said. But we still know you're not truly a playoff team. <laughs> you can argue that. <laughs> I, 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 does that am I making sense in, in the way I say that? Like it kind of balanced out the way it was supposed to in the end, and the football gods maybe did Indianapolis a favor because they said to Chris Ballard and to Jim Mersey and to Shane Steichen, "You still got work to do, so go get back in the lab." Yeah, but you get you could have known that. And won that game also. No, I, I get that. <laughs> you, 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 no, but you're right. I mean, they, did they overachieve? Of course they did. And, and did they did they catch breaks from what was it five straight weeks of backup quarterbacks? Yes, but 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 they played you know the last two thirds of the season with a backup quarterback. So the, the, I, I guess the, the storyline is going to be is what might have been, what could have been, and you you. Uh, a long time ago, you use the analogy of a flat tire, and you put a donut on your car, and you know it's not supposed to go this long. And I thought we saw sort of where Gardner Minshew can take you, sort of. And and again, I, I didn't want to pile on Goodson, I don't mean to pile on Minshew either. But he needed to make three or four plays, five plays, whatever, and he just didn't. And Again, to rush for 188 for Taylor and 227, which, which again, I looked it up, and that's, that's the most yardage this team has rushed for and lost in the Indy era. So, you know, they did, every, they did everything right, well, except for letting Nico Collins go for like 400 yards. I mean, God, when you got one guy that can really beat you and you don't take him out, uh, that, 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 that's a shame on the Colts. But, no, I, I, I thought they, they, they maximized – they squeezed every ounce of of what can we do next out of this roster, I think. Uh, and to come up short, it it it's it, it just it's a gut punch because again, the way things 
came out. But, you know, uh, they, they took advantage of what they could, of what they should, until the quarterback couldn't make a play. And I hate to put it all on one guy, but it, and I realize that it never comes down to one play. Well, yeah, it sort of did. I mean, it sort of did. So th- that's where you, you, you wish they had had another, you know, just a little burst in them. And like you said, people need to realize that they, they, converting that, they still had to score a touchdown. And, you know, if you, I tell you, if you look at that, I'm not so sure that Goodson might not have scored if he kept his balance because Pittman was there blocking. And all, if he cuts it up and all that, you know, if, if, if. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's pretty cruel, the football gods. To, to put so many things in your in your path to, to help you, and then say, "Nah, I don't think so." I know. Yep. <laughs> but 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 they there's no question they benefited from a lot. They overcame a lot. I know how on on the internet people want Gus Bradley fired. I didn't get that impression from Shane Steichen at all today, at all. And I look at that secondary over the last oh, shoot all season. What he had to do to try to to compensate for the lack of, of of veterans and experience, and you know, I'm sure Rick Venturi's cussing at me right now because they didn't because they didn't take like a Nico Collins away. But I thought he was so preoccupied with trying to protect a, a, a I don't use the word bad, but an un, un, unready for the moment secondary. Uh, so yeah, I I understand everyone's frustrations and disappointments, but I still think they took a couple of major steps forward. Again, if the quarterback comes back, so he's going to come back. But 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 if he's the answer, can stay on the field, and we're going to talk to him later in the week, I believe. So uh, the future is still on Anthony Richardson. It just it just is. Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, last mm-hmm. offseason, you advocated strongly for the Colts getting things taken care of with Jonathan Taylor because of what he means to the Colts and what he means for that offense. I would argue heading into this offseason, this isn't a, you know, a unique take. It's just the state of affairs with that wide receiver room. There is nobody more important to retain from an offensive standpoint than Michael Pittman Jr. Whether it's the tag, whether it's a deal getting done with him, do you subscribe to the viewpoint this offseason that retaining Michael Pittman Jr. should be done by any means necessary? Yeah, and it will be done by any means necessary. Yeah. I, I, I tend to – it needs to be the long-term deal. And, you know, the, the problem is that's not what they've done at that, at that position. They've not – you know, they've invested second-round picks and all this, and but they've not really – Given that second contract to a receiver by any by any stretch, and but but they but they've sort of sort of put themselves in his position because there's no with Michael Pittman there's no plan B. So we'll just let him we'll, we'll let him test his you know, his worth on the market and maybe he'll come back to us. No, you, you first that's not going to happen. We we had a really good talk with Pitt today, and I really enjoy Michael Pittman. I really do. He's he, he's just a great person, a great personality, and he is a businessman. He is, he understands. He was talking about, you know, he wants to see, he wants to see what's out there. He said, I'm going to do my due diligence. I owe it to myself. And that means going out and seeing what the market bears. But I don't know if the Colts are going to allow that to happen. I mean, they're going to, now if they franchise, he can go out there and, and see what he can get. But, 
but you know that that's it's just not going to happen because the compensation and all that they're they're not he, he's he's going to be here next year. he just is i i'm not breaking ground there it's going to be will it be for the franchise tag or whatever and i th- i think i asked him i said well how receptive will you be if they put the franchise tag on you and he said something like and he knew the numbers like 23 it's like 23.9 million he said yeah i said i'm not sure any i know of anyone who would sort of turn their back on 23 million dollars but then he said, I wouldn't necessarily like it. I'm paraphrasing because we talked to so many people today. So, yeah, I, I, I think he's here next year. I think it makes sense if the money, I hate to say makes sense because the money we're talking hardly ever makes sense because of, you know, the magnitude of it. But, his, his, you know, it's, it's obvious to me that his, his starting point is going to be the franchise tag, $23 million. And... If he would, if he is out there on the open market and can sell himself to the highest bidder, what do you think the Kansas City Chiefs would pay him? I mean, they need a receiver so bad it's it's a shame. So I, every all we all talked about, boy, you'd like great season, boy, you want more from him, you want more of a deep threat. Well, that's a that's a reflection of these guys not having quarterbacks recently to throw the ball deep. Minshew didn't. I mean, he 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 rendered Alec Pierce transparent most of the season. So you know, Pittman would love to go somewhere where they do throw deep. You know, the the Buffaloes or or wherever. I mean, so, somewhere where they really got a, a a deep threat component to their pass game. These guys really don't have it enough. But I just you know, the due diligence is going to be go ahead fine, but it's going to be a long term deal or the franchise tag and you know the the long-term deal makes sense just so you're not upsetting the player and maybe he stays away until late august i don't know well chap one of the interesting things to me about Pittman, and see if if you can follow my my brain skipping here but i I, you know going into the year i'm not saying that you were one i mean i think there was always the question of like is michael Pittman a true number one we now know he is right clearly he is i I think i i'm sort of on that train yes but but at the same time you look at him and you say okay he is a number one but truly every number one needs a secondary receiver and in particular a receiver that can do what it is that is not their specialty and in Pittman's case his speci- his specialty is not getting out behind a defense and being a deep ball threat that would be Alec Pierce's role now the question becomes is Alec Pierce short in that role or is Alec Pierce perfectly suitable for that role and Anthony Richardson is the guy that will show that in fact Alec Pierce is the guy but only the Colts will be able to determine which of those two becomes the reality. So to me, really, the big question becomes not necessarily, I think with Pittman, we know what you've got. The question becomes, are they cool with rolling with Pierce and saying Anthony Richardson solves that problem, or do they need to go out and get, in fact, a number two receiver? Yes, (laughs) yes. Uh, Even if... And I, I do think internally they believe that with the Richardson, they're, they're, he, they will be able to more tap into what Alec Pierce does. I do. I believe that. But I also say they need to have a, a better option at number two. And then you've got Josh Downs as that slot guy who can be really, really good. And then let Pierce sort of be the 
the two A or the or number three or however you want to put it. I, I think I think what they need to do, and they don't listen to me very often. But you know, resign Pittman long term deal. I don't know, four years, a hundred million dollars. Just just throw the numbers out there. That which is maybe high. I don't know. But then then you still need another receiver. You need a, a veteran guy who can be more of a two, and let Pierce be that shock guy, and let you know, Downs be the guy who just does things underneath. And if you hit him in stride, he's going to run. He, he showed his running after the catch skills a lot of times this year, including Saturday night. So, yeah, I think with however they deal with Pittman, they still need to add a receiver. I don't I don't think necessarily with a draft pick because they've got some young guys. You know, Pitt's only like what, 26 or 27. So, so but, yeah, I, I think they – however they handle Pitt, franchise or long-term, they still need to bring in a guy who's more than just a guy. More, They need to get, bring in a guy that's proven and can be that guy as, as a number two guy or, or something like that, and then, then it's a pretty good room. Okay, Mike Chappell, I'm going to list for you people that there's the possibility, if the Colts so chose, would not be on or a part of the franchise next year. I'm going to give them, give the name, and then you tell me basically yes, no, if they are back. And if okay. you want to elaborate, you can. You ready? Uh, yep. Gus Bradley. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sykin said two or three times, I like continuity. I, sort of, I like what Gus has done, so I think he's back. Grover Stewart. Yes. Okay. I, I won't elaborate. I just think yes. Kenny Moore II. <laughs> well, they got his picture up at the stadium. Uh, they yeah. also had uh, Shaq Leonard's up, and they I had and they had Jonathan Taylor and Quentin Nelson, and both of them were not selected to work with on fourth and one. But I digress. I, uh, I understand. I okay. understand. Okay, so Kenny Moore. Yes. Okay. Gardner Minshew. No. Now, do you think no, that's? I, be- I, they, 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 I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna get more on the open market than what these guys were willing to pay. I think they'll bring in a, another backup. They they said all the right things today about what Minshew did, but there's just and I tell you in the perfect world where he play where he starts like three games, it's probably perfect. But at some point, that donut tire you got on just kind of wears down. No, I I don't think he's back. Chap, I'm not going to lie to you. When when my tomb is in Crown Hill, hopefully it's not for a couple of years, but we'll see. I, I, I'm I'm proud of the fact that that donut tire analogy is going to follow me all the way to there, isn't it? I think it's 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 a perfect analogy, and if he completes that pass, it would have been so wrong. But in the people that criticize the team and Minshew, this boy, another backhanded compliment coming. This is kind of who he's been. This is the good, the bad, the warts, the the the, the good plays, and some you scratch your head about. And, but that's who he is, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. But, you know, is he one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the league? Probably not. But that's but that's fine. I mean, people have made a career for a long time being that backup guy that either steps in or bounces around and finds the right spot. I, I just don't think it's here next year. Well, I, I like don't. what Jimmy said earlier. Jimmy, what you said is the reality is, Chap, you, you saw this year that if you – if you go the totality of a season with Gardner Minshew, you kind of know what the ceiling is now. So, based on that, if if next year if Anthony Richardson's your guy, you know that if he goes down, if you're not going to make the playoffs anyway, then you, then you 
don't spend overpay, the money elsewhere. Don't overpay for him. Like if he right. wants to come back on a team friendly deal, by all means, like that's fine. But don't overpay for a quarterback that if you break the glass for him, you know how it ends. Um, Ryan but, Kelly. Uh, that's why. That's why I say I think he gets. He'll get a. Uh, uh, they paid him three point five. I think he gets every bit of five or six or seven somewhere else. And I I just don't see these guys doing that. Uh, Ryan Kelly. I enjoy Ryan Kelly. I think he's back. Uh, we talked to him today, and I waited till all the TV guys went away because the players are always better. And I, I said, so when do you start thinking about your future? He said, about what? I said, you know, about whether you're going to come back or not. He said, when have I ever given you the impression that I was re- retiring? And I said, well, I said, I said, all, all I said is it's out there. And, and there's some social media stuff where it says, I'm hearing – that Ryan Kelly thought long and hard about it last year, and he's thinking long and hard about it this year. I said, it's just out there. He said, he said I don't know where that S stuff comes from, but they need to check their sources. So, now, that could be BS-type stuff, but he, he was agitated by the fact that it's out there that he's considering retirement. Uh, so I, I think he's back, but at the same time, I don't think he's not a – 14 year lifer by any right. stretch. He's got he's got a family and a life now, but I got the impression that uh, Ryan Kelly's coming back. Okay, a couple more. Tyquan Lewis. If the price is right, he's a very valuable player, so I'd say yes. Isaiah McKenzie. I believe his name tag is down. So, uh, no, I don't know. No, no. Those are the guys. Those are the guys you, you, you sign in. April or yeah. May after the draft. No, McKenzie, no. by the way, who sent a tweet saying, "Now that my team's eliminated, can I root for somebody else in the playoffs?" And it's like, yeah, I think you probably <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, uh, Julian go Blackman. Ahead. Boy, uh, uh, if the price is right, they showed how, how how inadequate they were at safety a lot of times, and including both touchdowns. I felt bad for Juju Brent that he's out there on an island in the first play of the game or the first play of. Yes, if they can make the money work, yes. Zach Moss, no, he'll find he'll find value somewhere else. I was going to say he'll get paid now, right? Like they basically what they did this year was kind of showcase. Yep, for somebody else to come along and make him, you know what I mean, a bigger role. All right, and, and one thing that uh, Joel and, and George Bremer of Anderson, who's really good, he they went back and looked, and George did, and, and Zach Moss had his best games with Anthony Richardson as a quarterback. Well, that, can you imagine what this this team would have run for uh, Saturday night with Anthony Richardson? I mean, holy smoke! So no, I, but no, you, I think that the team did Zach a great favor by pumping up his value. But I think maybe they draft a guy mid rounds and then maybe find a veteran guy. But I, I no, I, I I think we enjoyed what we got out of uh, Zach Moss. Okay, lastly, Danny Penter. Yeah, because there's no downside. I mean, isn't he still on his rookie deal? Uh, I think I'd have to look at that closer. But, yeah, I think so. And they had semi-high hopes for him, you know, as as an interior backup guy and just had the unfortunate of whatever it was, breaking a foot or whatever it was uh, early on, training camp or whatever. So, yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, And, again, I I think I'd say maybe Michael Pittman's deal sort of dictates what you can do. It it doesn't really. It's going to. What's going to dictate it is how much cash the owner has to spend. This isn't Norton because they got a boatload of cap space again. Is it like seventy million, sixty some million? That's not an issue. It's 
it's cash and how you structure Michael Pittman's long-term deal, if it is, and how much money does, does he want up front? Can you pay up front? So they've, once again, they have got flexibility. I'm sure Chris Ballard always pounds the table when we talk about this because it's not as easy as what we'd make it be. But they've got flexibility. They've got things they can do. They've got priorities. When you've got the rookie contract at quarterback, it gives you so so many more options. It's not easy, but it, but but it's easier. So I, I think a lot of those guys you want back. You can't. One thing to keep in mind is that almost all those guys you talked about, and probably all of them, are not Shane Steichen guys. So he, this will be his time to sit down and better evaluate the people we're talking about, not so much the defensive players. He'll let the defensive coaches do that, but but how they fit in what he wants to do. And I don't think they go crazy other than Pittman as far as, as bringing guys back with, with really, really – one guy you mentioned, they need to address uh, Zaire Franklin's contract. I mean, he's, he's grossly underpaid because they paid him at the time as a special teams player, and now he's – twice at the franchise record for tackles, so they need to address him as well. So, But, but again, going back, they've got the cap space, and they're going to have – it's going to depend on how they, they kind of divvy out the available money. This is still a small market team, and they're just not printing. As, even though Jim Marseille keeps buying guitars, uh, cash, fluid cash is always an issue. But they've got – really some good options on guys to bring back, but most of those guys will come back at the Colts number or they won't come back. Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 is our guest. Chap, you mentioned earlier that your path to maybe getting another wide receiver is signing a veteran. We don't have the time to discuss if it's better to do it in the draft or do it in free agency, but let's go with your path of a veteran. We're in agreement that it can't be another Isaiah McKenzie, right? That was touted as a veteran. Getting a veteran wide receiver right. for Anthony Richardson, in my mind, even if you tag Pitt or if you pay him, would be a T. Higgins or, I mean, I know he's on the older side, he doesn't really fit your scheme, a Mike Evans, like a name, a Calvin Ridley, a significant name. It can't be Randall Cobb in terms of bringing in a veteran, correct? Yeah, and there'll be those guys out there. Again, the thing when people say, well, you, we're not going to pay Pittman more. I, it's kind of funny. I, I've kind of compared Michael Pittman to Miles Turner, where you pay, didn't you get a max contract? And boy, you want you want more, whatever more is from Miles Turner. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, and Pittman's the same way. You'd like you'd like to see more of the deep threat, and that, that may be a, a reflection of they haven't had quarterbacks to, that can routinely use him deep. But yeah, they they need to bring in a guy who who is you know may, maybe twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. You know, I, I don't want an old guy in here, but but somebody that can really step up and give you I don't know forty or fifty catches and, and some decent yards and some touchdowns. Because if you let Pittman walk, it's going to cost you that much to, to replace him. It just will. And you're getting a guy that you don't know that much about. It's going to be a great list of veteran free agents at, at the position when it first comes out. And then teams will start franchising them or re-signing them. So the, so the initial list you see of uh, free agent receivers, don't believe it. Use it for a base, but that most of those guys won't be available. So I, I think they really hit on Taylor. 
the, uh, in the draft, and they really hit on Pittman. And, you know, I, 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 Jake talked earlier, and you hit on Quentin Nelson. And when you do, it comes time to pay him to get that second contract. And and I think these these guys have proven that they're worth the investment. Quentin Nelson, you, you hate to pay that much, but he, he's, he is that good at his position. You wish it was at left tackle or right tackle or whatever, but he's, he, he's your left guard, and he's a – one of the top two or three in the league right now. So when you hit on your draft picks, you got to pay them. Hey, Mike, lastly, Mike Chappell, our guest. C.J. Stroud's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, I, that, yeah. I mean, he, he is. Cause, because in a game of that magnitude, you know, you kind of wondered. And look, guy comes out of Ohio State, he's played in big moments for sure, right? But, I mean, when that came down to it, you know, you look at the next day, same level of magnitude for Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. Now, I think Trevor Lawrence was hurt, quite frankly. And I'm an apologist for Trevor Lawrence, maybe more than I should be. I think he's really good. But I think, you know, that that it shows why they need Richardson to deliver because there are two really good quarterbacks already in the AFC South that are established. Yeah, and I'm not sold on Will Levis in Tennessee yet. I'm just not. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. But, yeah, the other two. And, again, if I'm not mistaken, Trevor Lawrence's issues began – in that one loss of the Colts was at 37-20, and they had him roll out at the end of the game. And Samson or somebody tackled him, and then he had his knee issues, and then it was something every week. So I still I believe in Lawrence. I, I still can't believe that they get, got into their death spiral, uh, which was just the opposite of what happened last year. But, no, you've got you got to have the quarterback. And I, I, I wish we had a, a, a deeper sample size of Richardson – you know, four games, uh, you, you saw what you really liked, but you'd like to see more, and can he stay healthy and all that stuff. But he gives them hope. And, again, the idea of having however many games with Richardson and Taylor and even Pittman, you know, they played one play together this year, one. So uh, it's pretty exciting, but you're still you're still not entirely sure of what you get with Richardson, although he gave you – some good glimpses. I just wish it was a deeper sample size. Uh, where do we go from here, Mike, in conclusion? In other words, the next week or so, we are looking for what in terms of the advancement and the moving on here and turning the page from the 23 season into now the off season. Probably quiet for a few weeks uh, because I, I don't, you know, if they're not going to make any coaching changes, uh, that, we're not, that, that won't be a, an issue unless, again, Somebody with an expiring contract goes somewhere else because that's where they, what they prefer. But I think as far as players, gosh, I, we're not going to. Michael Pittman made it very clear that he, you know, they made it. He, they, they had discussions with the Colts that we're not going to talk Do, about this during the season. We're going to wait, and he wants to. He wants to see what his options are out there. So until the Colts. Do we normally get like a season in review? I, I can't recall, so my apologies. Do we normally get? Some sort of a season in review presser from either Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay? We'll get Chris Ballard later in the week, apparently Thursday or Friday, whatever. So, and he'll have he'll have two or three days to to, to figure out all the questions we're going to ask him, and he'll tell us whatever he wants to tell us. So, yeah, I, I but I don't think he's going to give us any any details. I mean, yeah, we'd like to, you know, we hope to get Michael Pittman done. He's a, you know, because Chris Ballard he loves Michael Pittman. He he is the 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 prototype player he wants in so many you know so, so many traits is what, what he wants 
but there's not a lot he can tell us. He can't tell us about Grover or Kenny, Kenny Moore or any of these guys. It'll be more. He, his will be more, I think, a, a reflection of what went right, what went wrong this past season as opposed to looking ahead because I don't know that they're even they, – they won't even be very deep into their player evaluations yet. It's going to be more of a, you know, foundational thing. But, you know, we'll ask him all those questions. Mike, appreciate the time as always. Appreciate uh, the conversations over the course of the year. And uh, maybe you can kick back and listen to a little bit of Beatles music or something, some Bob Seger, whatever it is that might be quenching your thirst here for I've kicking got, back. I've, over I've got Abbey Road, in my, Abbey Road in my cassette in the car, so uh, I'll go that. You know, when I'm driving around, I'll pump on and come together. <laughs> there we go. I appreciate it, Mike, as always. See you guys. All right, Mike Chappell again, WXIN and CBS4. Uh, way over. We'll get your thoughts on the Colts as well. And then Rick DeMullen going to join us 2 o'clock here as we rehash the 2023 Colts season on Quarry and Company on a Monday, 93.5, The Fan. By the way, Jimmy, what time did you go to bed last night? One thirty. Okay. Did you happen to notice that's about, about the same, I guess? Uh, and by the way, separate residences when the two of us went to bed. Um when did you go to bed? About that. Uh, probably went to bed like 12.30 or 1, yeah, and then probably fell asleep around 2. You know, you kind of read over stuff, look over different things. I had, The phone keeps anybody awake for an extra hour, right? Yep. But the Atlanta Falcons last night wasting no time at the stroke of midnight, right? I don't know if there's like a rule that you got to wait until midnight before you fire somebody. What was it, 12.02, and they came out, and they're like, you know what, Uh, we decided (laughs) to move on. I mean, that was the – there's going to be a lot of changes this offseason around the NFL, as there is every year, but, like, that's one I think everybody's seen coming for weeks. And Riverboat Ron uh, sank yesterday in Washington as well, actually, today. Ron Rivera out as the head coach of the Commanders. Uh, The Falcons cleaning house altogether, did they not? Head coach and GM, am I right in that, or just head coach? I believe they. Did I believe that was both. just head coach. Was it was just head coach? Uh, Carolina was GM, right? Yeah. So was Washington. Yep, Washington, right. that's it. Cleaned okay. house. So there will be more probably. Bill Belichick was non-committal in terms of his future with the New England Patriots. We shall see what happens with that. But in terms of the future of the Indianapolis Colts, what we do know is this, and that is that it's Anthony Richardson's future. It was supposed to be this year. You saw in Houston what can happen when a rookie, talented quarterback is able to get games under him and get in rhythm, and C.J. Stroud was really good for the Texans. And the Colts can only hope that uh, Anthony Richardson, once he is playing, I mean, if he's at that level, they've got obviously a good cast because you saw, as Jimmy mentioned earlier, you know, you're within a whisker of the playoffs with Gardner Minshew as your quarterback, so you're hoping to upgrade that position. And Gardner Minshew deserves a huge pat on the back and a thank you for playing the way he did. And if nothing else this year, yes, you didn't get playoff games out of it, but you got playoff feel. And if this year was about developing for Anthony Richardson and building around Anthony Richardson as your franchise quarterback, at the very least what Gardner Minshew did was give the rest of the roster the feel for what happens when you get late in games and you're in must-win situations and the stakes are there and the attention's there and the media and everything is there, the rest of the roster now understands all of that. And Anthony Richardson, you know, can he learn from that? 
Shane Steichen talked to the media today and was asked exactly that. Shane, what exactly could Anthony Richardson, your franchise quarterback, have learned by watching the 23 season? Um, you know, he obviously got you know a chance to sit back and watch uh, and learn. And, uh, you know, I had some good meetings with him throughout the season, you know, just individually, me and him sitting down talking football and uh, really just seeing the NFL season uh, as a whole. Obviously, we'd love to have him out there uh, for the season to learn that way. But there's always uh, reasons in life, I think, why things happen. And I think, you know, what happened to him was unfortunate, but I think it's going to make him stronger at the end. I thought Steichen overall, Jimmy, the, the best credit I can give to, to Shane Steichen is at no point this year, and you tell me if you agree or disagree, Jimmy, but at no point this year did it really feel like Shane Steichen was a first-year head coach. No, I would totally agree with that. And I think that, again, regardless of our differing philosophies, you mentioned microcosms of a season. That is modern NFL, regardless if you believe handing off the ball for one yard or running a passing play, that is a modern NFL look. And that's just one example of different schemes that Shane Steichen is capable of. So often in the National Football League, you have one and not the other. You have the quarterback, but you don't have the coach. Maybe you have the coach and you don't have the quarterback. And I get it, there's some that aren't fully sold on Anthony Richardson, but there's some that are. And your takeaways from Shane Steichen year one should be an inventive play caller, someone that's not afraid to take chances. I still scratch my head at personnel decisions at times, especially how the season ends at your last impression that you have as a first-year head coach, but he never looked in over his head. And it's a guy that I want to see not just building around the quarterback, but building around the head coach and building to his strengths. Well, that's something he did like throughout the course of the entire season. Like If you think about it, they have a jet sweep on a fourth down to Kylan Granson, they have the Zaire package twice on fourth down, and there's the Mo Alley Cox touchdown in uh, Cincinnati, and then the other big Mo Alley Cox uh, catch he had in a home game. I can't remember who it was against, but it was the first time they employed the Zaire package, and that's just kind of what he did all season long on those fourth downs is try to outsmart the other team by going to the guy they'd probably least expect. And in the end, it probably outsmarted himself, right? I, you know, but – Nonetheless, I think there was a poise about Steichen. You know, I I know that people want to talk about the fact that like he 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 made players accountable. Part of that, I I in my opinion, is he shouldn't necessarily be having to make players accountable to the level that he was probably having to do so in terms of just the roster and the guys that were being brought in in general, but. I thought overall it was very clear this year who was the guy that was steering the ship. And um, he carried with him and exuded with him a quiet confidence and just a guy that looked like he was in control of the situation, which is what I think you want from certainly a head coach and let alone a rookie head coach. But the question for Shane Steichen, did he feel like he has set the proper foundation now in his first year complete as an NFL head coach? I think so. I think uh, you always want to, you know, have a solid year. Obviously, you want to get in the playoffs, right? That's the goal. The goal is to win the division uh, and get in the playoffs, and we were right there. And uh, to come up short, it was very disappointing. But a lot to learn from uh, myself, uh, everybody involved uh, going forward so we can have a hell of a, you know, 2024 season. So, you know, look, 
the this is one of those days when you cover an NFL team. It's always fascinating the the clean out locker day. Like it's like the last day of school. Remember the last day of school when people are coming in and you know you're kind of you're you're Throwing taking like your binders. last two finals and yeah you're just you're cleaning out your locker and there's trash everywhere. I've always the NFL. It, it is so fascinating when teams come in and guys are cleaning out their locker. And they always have big trash bags and bags full of shoes and everything else and. Some guys you see, they got a spring in their step because they know that they're getting ready to go into a year maybe where their contract really gets big or they had a big year and they know they're going to get paid. Other guys, there's a lot of unquestion marks. It's a lot of instability just in terms of, of where everybody is. Um, and some guys might feel closer than others. Some guys might feel like they didn't get a real feel for where they are and, and where the team is. But the question for Shane Steichen is just the team in general. Right now, the 2023 Indianapolis Colts heading into the offseason, Shane Steichen, your first year as a head coach. Is this team about where you thought it would be at this point? I truly do. I think we're right there. I think we're right there. And uh, you could see it by the way our guys fought, but every year is a new year. So we got to rebuild it again next year uh, and have that laser focus just every single day. The details, the preparation that we put into it. Um, we got to be all over it, but I do. I think we're right on the cusp of something really special here. Rick DeMolling will join us just a couple of minutes to talk about exactly that. On the other side, guess who's not going to be playing tonight that you thought would? We'll let you know next. So here's the big question, Jimmy. I don't know the answer to this, although I have my, my – I've put my detective skills to work. The Boston Celtics played the Indiana the Indianapolis the Indiana Pacers on Saturday night beat them. That's the city jersey's working right there. That's right, your shirt there. And then they play again today. That is correct. Somebody asked me this question, and it sounds crazy to ask, but which was, do you think they stayed in Indianapolis, or do you think they went home and then came back? Now oh, they stayed. I'm sorry. <laughs> that sounded like Eddie. Correct. I would imagine they stayed. You know why? Because I, it took me a second to think about this. Eddie, I'll incorporate you here. Do you believe that they had a workout in their day staying in town? As in uh, yesterday? Yes. I don't know. I would bet they did because here's the thing. It took a second for this to dawn on me. They would have probably stayed, and I'm pretty certain I know where they stayed, but and then I thought, wait a minute, the president of basketball operations is Brad Stevens. Wouldn't they have gone yeah, and probably yeah. had a practice at Butler yeah. and just worked out at Butler? And right. But when they did so, at some point along the line, uh, the an ankle apparently was turned or tweaked, or maybe it might have been in a game situation. But we know now, Eddie, who is not going to play tonight, right? Yes. Jason Tatum will be out tonight. He's dealing with left ankle sprain management. Uh, it's worth noting that the Celtics have a very, very difficult back-to-back later this week on Wednesday night and Thursday night. They face uh, Minnesota Wednesday, and they face Milwaukee Thursday. The luxury of only having seven losses to your name and having a bunch of stars on your team. You can afford to take a night well, off. You're not kidding. I mean, they are they are loaded. But it'd be a good one tonight at the Fieldhouse, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it turns the dial of go get this one if you're the Pacers. Right, you can't control what the Celtics are going to do from a lineup standpoint, but if Tatum's out of lineup, that's one less weapon. It sounds like Porzingis is going to be available for the Celtics. I know he got basically like six minutes of action uh, 
against the Pacers the other night, but even if it's Przingis, Brown, whoever's out there, take advantage of the opportunity. Yes, you want to get a measuring stick at full strength, like you had the opportunity to over the weekend, but take advantage of this. You know, the um, the Pacers then, you know, getting set to go out west, and they've got an interesting trip out west where they go, what is it? In no, I'm trying to think of the order. Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, I think is the way it goes. Atlanta mixed in there too, but yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta first. It. Atlanta, yep, yep. you start that, which is kind of weird, right? You start in Atlanta and then you go out west, but pretty long trip. They were trying to recreate a like Southwest hub. They were trying to That's right. a destination and then go out west. That's right. Doesn't make sense. Why can't we go straight there? Well, you go to Atlanta first and then we'll get you out there. And I guess uh, we'll find out. Is this their last home game before the trip? Washington on the 10th. That, so the Washington game, who already has beaten them, I guess with Washington, you find out then whether or not they just need to get away, right? Nice. Thank you. I do what I can, right? Um, but no, Jason, so if you were going out, if you're one of the Carmel Pup kids with your Jason Tatum jersey tonight, bad news, you're not going to see him. Uh, by the way, Chris Denary just texted me and says, most teams do not have practice day after a back-to-back might have had a voluntary shoot-around. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine they did. Like, yeah, I don't think they were doing like three hours of wind sprints, but. I feel like Hinkle's the easy choice if you're a team. I mean, it used yes, to be the players would walk tie, around Circle like, Center, but now there's like you know nothing to walk around at, right? <laughs> if you're trying to get a shoot around, though, I feel like that. I mean, you go to UND, like you go to IUPUI, but like I feel like a lot of depending on who's in your staff, it's a good arena to go see, and it's a fun place to shoot totally. around, right? Hoosiers, totally. every, everything, all of it, and it's got like side auxiliary gyms and right. you know whatever else. But you would imagine that would have been. But I appreciate Chris, who I just talked to before we left, or, uh, before we got on the air. I talked to Chris today, um, jumping on. I, if you were like Denary or Jeremiah or Boyle or any of them, I, do you have to pack like two weeks worth of suits? I'd wear. I, I'd just have one like wrinkle-free suit and just go with it, right? Well, with Boyle, he's colorblind, so he has to pack his suits together. So he takes a suit for every game. I feel like I'd want at least two. Wouldn't you just? Pack like a navy blue suit and then have a very a variety of ties. With like you can't really go. I was just thinking about this. You can't really go to the dry cleaners during an off day unless it's a legitimate twenty four hour spot. Like you can't one hour cleaners. Yeah, I guess you could. Right. I've I've been known to do laundry on the road. When we were in New Orleans. I remember uh, IndyCar in New Orleans one time. It started. It was like Forrest Gump. We got there. It started raining. It never stopped. And we got like our clothes got so soaked. I found like a laundry mat nearby, and in a in a three hour period or something, I took all of our clothes and like went and just did laundry because it's the first time I've ever done like laundry on the road like that. Right? It's kind of weird. Uh, Rick DeMoling, former Colt, joins us next. Two o'clock hour underway. My name is Jake Query. This is Query and Company here on ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company. Jimmy Cook is the company president. You folks, all employees of the company, make up your own title, whatever you'd like for it to be. Uh, Rick DeMoling, former Indianapolis Colt, joins us. And for that matter, former Detroit Lion, as he is ready to watch Matthew Stafford go in and try to win a playoff game in Detroit. But we're here to talk about the Colts. And Rick DeMoling joins us. Rick, how are you? What's happening? I tell you what, start to uh, 24 wasn't what I was hoping with the Colts, but it's a lot better than what we what we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. So Yeah, that's and that's kind of what, let's, let's focus on that, because I was saying at the beginning of the show, like in a vacuum, you can be disappointed and go, man, they were a yard away from potentially, you know, winning the division for that matter, whoever would have guessed. But 
when you really step back at it, Rick, and look at it, I think the the mission was accomplished, was it not, in, in reality? Because what you wanted with a first-year head coach was to just kind of lay a foundation for Anthony Richardson and turning the page with a new franchise quarterback. And clearly, there are pieces there that are in place. Um, but as a player, is it hard to, like, how long does it take to kind of come to that epiphany if you're a player on the roster? Uh, good question. I think it takes a little bit because you always think your your team is good. I mean, unless you're just, you know, you just aren't and you lose every single game. But when you're winning, you always think you're a lot better than you are. So, like, I would hope that they had ideas of making, doing a lot of noise in the in the playoffs. But when you talk about what was the goal for the beginning of the season, it had to have been like, let's, let's see how Steichen does. And I think he did phenomenal. He got the guys to buy in, right? They They played hard which was, I think was an issue last year. They didn't, they didn't seem like they were in it. And I think uh, Stegen has got them to buy in, and he's got a great game plan. He knows how to coach. And so, like, I think it was a win of a season. And for us to be competitive in all the games was just an absolute bonus. Rick, the main argument to how that last play ended for the Colts is, well, why don't you hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor and let him go get a yard my question for you is this, the biggest, most frustrating thing for me in today's NFL, and usually I like a modern look on offense, but if you're trying to get a yard, I never understand, other than to get a guy downhill, which makes sense to some extent, why you're going to line up in the shotgun to go get a yard. So my question for you is, as a former offensive lineman, in today's NFL, what's your viewpoint on that? Because if the drive that the Colts were running is any indication, had they gone for a yard with JT it likely would have been from the gun. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that, but, I mean, that just from optics for me, I mean, I, I don't know what it does for the running back. I think it looks different. But an offensive line, it doesn't do a single thing differently because you just got to go block and go do your – it doesn't change the lineup too much. But, yeah, I, I'm more like – if you're going to run the ball, let's get into a, a traditional formation, get the back there, get the quarterback under center, and let's go smash mouth. But – I have no problem with the play call that they did. Now, I only question, like, why, was, why wasn't JT or Moss back there as the running back? But who knows? Maybe they did that. Uh, I, my speculation is, like, they ran that play a ton of times in practice. Like, hey, we want to bring out – bring this – was it Rodgers? Or I don't know. I don't even know his last name. That's horrible. Um, put him back there so it looks kind of like a decoy. And, you know, it just wasn't – executed on both ends. Um, I think the, the running back did the best job he could, and I think Mishu did the best job he could. It just wasn't the best outcome. So kind of that's what was my question. Like, why not have JT or Moss back there just grind out that one yard? Or at the very least, if you know you're going to Goodson in that position, Goodson, yeah. then you have – if you put Taylor or Moss back there, then what you're doing is you're forcing defenses to be that much to, to have to. That's another, you know, they got to keep eyes on on Taylor, right? And so then yeah. you're you're open. But again, having him open wasn't the problem. Clearly, it was just yeah. the execution of the play itself, Rick. But um, I wanted to ask you this. You know, today's always as a media guy, locker cleanout day was always. I don't know. It was always kind of amusing, and I hate to say it that way, but you know, you got guys coming in there with trash bags, and they're carrying out boxes of cleats, and 
it was like the last day of school. Some guys you could tell were kind of rejoiced by it. Some guys were totally bummed out. Some guys didn't know what their future was. Other guys knew they were getting ready to walk into a huge contract. What is it like as a player when the totality of the season and the end of it hits you right there and you know kind of it's over? What's the mindset? How much do you keep in touch with guys in the next coming week or so? Just take me through what you think is going on on West 56 today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head. It is a gamut of feelings, right? There are people that are like, sweet, I'm done. Let's just go get to the off season. <laughs> right. There's other guys that like they pour so much into it that it hurts. It literally is just difficult to move past. And like me, I, I, I am a, a guy that needs structure and I need schedule. So like for me, it was like, oh boy, what do I do? <laughs> so I wake up relatively aimless. So I was, I needed that. But there are, you know, it's everything in between. Some guys, like you said, are like, hey, I'm about to get paid. This is great. I can start focusing. I'm, I'm healthy and I'm good to go. So, I mean, it, it can vary where your headspace is, where, what year you are, if you're a rookie, if you're a 10-year veteran. I mean, there's really <laughs> a hundred different kind of emotions and ways to, to deal with it. Since you were a lineman, Rick, I'd like to kind of dissect – the offensive line play from this year, okay? Um, and I'm going to begin with Bernard Ryman. You know, left tackle is always the hardest position to kind of make as a pillar. You had a great one when you played in Tarek Glenn, who was a regular in that spot. Um, but do you think they have that, as they know that they're getting ready to go now and hand the keys over to hopefully a healthy Anthony Richardson, um, is the left tackle position taken care of? Do you like Bernard Ryman at that spot? I do. Um, I can't say that I've studied him and, you know, really broken down his game, but I mean, I didn't see, I wasn't screaming at the, at the TV going, what's going on, you know, with the left tackle. So that is always a good sign. I mean, I, I think the thing was inconsistency across the board um, on the offensive line. There's times like they had a couple of drives on, on Saturday that is like, they look like world beaters, right? They were just dominating the offensive line. And then as soon as that injury hit and they got a timeout and the defense got their feet underneath them, they got stymied. So it's like, it's just consistency. And I don't know if that has to do with like, and I thought about this is they take a, it seems like a lot of time off at practice. It's a little bit more lackadaisical. Like, Hey, you know, I don't feel like practicing did not participate. Whereas like if you were participating and practicing the entire week, unless you were truly hurt, you know, it wasn't like, ah, I just don't feel like going anymore. And that's, and that could be playing a huge part in it. Like if you're not going against or playing with the guy left to you and to the right of you every single day in practice, then the timing's off and the consistency just doesn't always line up. That goes back to, I've asked this before, Rick, if you were, if you're building an offensive line, would you rather have a unit that are that every player is let's say a seven but you get the same guys over the totality of the year or would you rather have like two tens and then an intermix of sixes and sevens but they're constantly coming and going I'm a huge believer and there is strength and continuity with the line as opposed to individualized talent but is that why I'm a radio host and not a football coach no, I agree with you. I mean, having consistency and knowing what you're going to get is big. But, however, there are certain positions that you can kind of hide a six and seven, right? If you have a, a ten. Like, I had Tart Glenn to my left and Jeff Saturday to my right. I could have been a four, a three, you know, and, and look a lot better than I really was. 
So I, I like consistency. I err on that side. But, you know, if you do have tens, two or three tens and a couple of guys that are not there, you can kind of hide that a little bit. Hey, Rick, do you still – Rick DeMulling is our guest. Um, kind of an offbeat question here, but since you mentioned Jeff Saturday, and I think, you know, I think anybody in town – likes Jeff Saturday. I mean, there are a few guys that are just solid salt-of-the-earth dudes more than Jeff Saturday. I think people know that, right? Um, last year when he when he came in as the interim coach and I think was probably brought in to kind of itemize things for Jim Irsay, and then the fact that obviously they didn't, you know, they didn't get wins, do you think he was hurt by that? And by, by hurt by that, I, I mean just in terms of the way fans didn't turn on him per se, but we're not happy with the way the year ended. Do you think that bothered Jeff Saturday? I'm sure, yeah, it had to have, right? Because, I mean, they, there was a petition for him to not become the coach. I mean, what that that was trashy to me from the fan base, right? So how does that not hurt? Um, I mean, I haven't had a conversation with him and say, hey, how do you feel about that? But Jeff's an emotional guy, and just like anybody else, so that had to have stung a little bit it would have stung me when you know you give your entire almost your entire career to one organization then come in and like he poured himself out as a coach whether people thought so or not like he did he he did everything he possibly could and then to get that kind of reaction like he was put in a situation that i don't think anybody could have like garnered a lot of wins you know what i mean and so like maybe the expectation was a little unfair um from the fan base but I mean, yeah, he, he would have every right to be a little – feel some sting with that for sure. Former Colts offensive lineman Rick DeMoling is our guest. Rick, I know that one drive or even one game is not a full body of work to judge a position group, but as we look back at that offensive line, especially in the final drive, they run the ball nine times with Jonathan Taylor. It's a mixed bag of success, right? A couple nice gains here and there, but one that went for, I think – a loss of one, one that was no gain on the play. There's a lot of different elements that are going there. It's late in the game. JT had hurt his heel earlier. The Texans are starting to kind of dig their feet in a bit. When you look at that final drive or look back at that final drive, where does the struggles at times to run the football lie? JT not being 100% clearly, the effects and fatigue of the game, or the Texans just kind of winning that battle in the trenches more late? I think a little bit of all of it. Um, I mean... It's one of those things a defense can over can make adjustments. You know, that's the thing everybody thinks an offensive line that's good should always just go and dominate. And they can dominate their individual positions or battles, but like they could easily send an extra guy. You know, that they were sending guys that were coming free. And I mean, like I said, I haven't broken down the game tape, but it's such a hard thing to win. The they're not running the ball well. It's so easy to blame the offensive line. It, it is, but who knows? Like I said, there could be a tight end that missed the block. There could be a misread. There could be they're sending an extra guy, and we were they were running it no matter what. So um, I, I like where the offensive line is at. I think they do have a lot of great players. Now, some of them are getting a little bit later in their career, but I still think there's a lot of juice in the tank for all of them. And, I mean, I like them. When they, when they get, like, an attitude about them and they start getting downfield and making those blocks, they're fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to watch. I think, Rick, personally, one of the unsung heroes of the Colts' offensive line is Braden Smith. because I, And I know that health has been a thing with him, but yeah. I just think that he is really solid, and, and when he is not out there, he is a tough one to replicate. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And, I mean, who do we have? Uh, Freeland, 
right? Correct. Coming in for him. So, like, you have a rookie, and then Braden is stud. I mean, he is one of those guys that's just consistently consistent. And he's a grinder. He'll he'll go and get it done without any complaints. So, when he's out of there, how do you replace a guy like that? Right, and so kind of like the Costanza when when he was gone, like who do you replace him with? And we, I think, we're blessed to have Raymond in there, Ryman. Um, so yeah, I, I think when he's gone, he's a big key to the puzzle. He's been there for a long time. He's a veteran, and he knows the guys. So that, that's just hard when you have a guy of that caliber and you know that much experience out of the lineup. If you had a son that was Rick DeMulling is our guest, a former Colts offensive lineman. If you had a son that was aspiring to be an offensive lineman and he's like in seventh grade, okay, so he's – which is a more important thing to develop for him? And hear me out on this, Rick, because you're probably going to laugh and think I'm an idiot the way I'm asking it. Having him do push-ups every day or having him jump rope? In other words, <laughs> is footwork an underappreciated, undervalued aspect of being an offensive lineman? Absolutely. Um, that's why you see a lot of transition from basketball. Like basketball players make typically pretty good offensive linemen there have the body type. You can always gain strength when you're older, right? It's just you start lifting weights and you get stronger. But like having the footwork is something that takes a while. And so being able to move and some people are just aren't born coordinated with their feet. And so like getting jump roping, doing those like foot and leg activities are so much more important than, like, let's go do a ton of push-ups, for sure. Rick DeMolling joins us. Rick, admittedly, this is a difficult question because of the small sample size, but going into 2024, is the look of this offensive line and the style with which they want to play beneficial and supportive of how they're going to utilize Anthony Richardson in his de facto rookie season next year? Good. I think so. I do. Um... I, I think they are well-equipped to handle that. And then if you get Anthony Richardson and JT on the field at the same time, and that offensive line working well together, I, I've never been a fan of, like, let's bring in a piece, a bunch of different pieces on the offensive line to see how it works. Like we said earlier, I'd rather have guys that know what they're doing, they work well together, and they're, they can be sevens or eights and still be able to work really well together. And then – I'm excited for next year. I'm excited for – hopefully they get some other pieces um, on the offense and defense, but I'm excited. If these guys stay together, it, it, it's exciting to see what they can do. When you went from Indianapolis to Detroit, Rick DeMulling, I'm, I'm guessing here I'm going a little off memory, but you would have gone from you know blocking for Peyton Manning, who we know obviously took virtually every snap here and was not a mobile quarterback per se – and I think you had, what, Jeff Garcia and Joey Harrington and maybe Orlovsky in Detroit. So a couple of those guys like to move their feet or extend the pocket a little bit. So is it different as a lineman from a lineman standpoint? Do the schemes or the way that they had to practice for a Gardner Minshew, is it going to be different for them for Anthony Richardson? Does the mindset change or the approach change from pure pocket passer to – guy that wants to get out and run a little bit absolutely i mean it has to i mean like you said i had peyton manning who he never got off his spot unless he absolutely had to right there was nothing chasing him unless it was somebody bearing down on him so i think mental like you just got to be ready like don't like okay if my guy goes around i gotta i can let him go like no you gotta stay in your guy the whole time because you have no idea where that quarterback is and then with anthony richardson you know as mobile as he is and what he can do 
yeah, you just it, it creates a <laughs> a seven second pocket. You can't sit there and like, oh, it's one, two, three, four, five. All right, should be good. It's like no, you stay until you hear the whistle. You know what's going on. So you absolutely got to be on point the entire time. What did the Colts do this year, Rick DeMolling? that we didn't give enough credit for? What did they do well that you didn't hear people talking about? Like over the course of the year, when you would listen to sports talk radio or, or look on TV or, you know, whatever it might be, was there one thing that you're like, man, why is nobody giving them credit here? Because they're better here than where people think. That would be what? I I don't think I could tell you. I mean, obviously they got tremendously better at the pass rush, but that was talked about quite a bit turnovers they were able to force a lot of turnovers those two things were talked about a lot but I mean that was huge to have added on to what you know the nucleus that they have now but to be honest with you I don't know if I can answer that and be accurate now you grew up in Cheney Washington right is that right Cheney Washington not Cheney Cheney. there's no way there's no a in there there's just (laughs) e sorry Cheney Washington okay now did you go to the same high school obviously well before you as Steve Entman Yes, sir. So is yes. he like a legend at your high school? Did you grow up admiring Steve Entman? So I moved in there like the his last, his senior year. I moved to Cheney at that time. But, yeah, I mean, obviously he was what everybody talked about. And then he went to UW. And I'm sure he'll probably be at the UW game tonight um, watching the Huskies probably take down uh, Michigan. But, yeah, absolute legend i met him a couple times when i was in high school he came in and bought all new uh, weights for the for the weight room and yeah i mean i was compared to him when i was in high school but i was not the 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 man he was like a man in high school and going into college okay so did you grow up then i mean i know you obviously went to idaho not washington but did you grow up a huskies fan I did. So I, was, I grew up in Tacoma, so just south of Seattle there. So I always loved the Huskies. But then when I got over to the east side of the state and spoke in Spokane and Cheney, Washington, um, I definitely became a Cougar fan pretty quick. Were you a Gonzaga fan? Because that's in Spokane, right? Yep, that's in Spokane. So I became, obviously, when they started playing well, I, yeah, absolutely. I jumped on that bandwagon pretty quick. Okay, so here's here's my question for you about Cheney. Cheney. See, I got it right that time. Cheney High School. There's you nailed it. There's only one high school in Cheney, right? Or is there a second high school in Cheney? Just one. Because I read somewhere that the high school was actually built on the site of an old nuclear missile launch pad. Is that true? <laughs> if if that is true, I have never heard of that. Uh, now we had the junior high was like literally like a bomb shelter. There was like <laughs> see now why do you men. think that is? Yeah, that's what me. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Um, but they they have since uh, gotten rid of that and actually made it look like it's a a, a school for education and not for a bunker for. See, uh, oh my gosh, the, the missiles they were building were not very good, so therefore everyone had to hide in the middle school. Oh yeah, I mean it was like cement walls and roof of like a foot and a half thick. I would think. I mean, very little windows. So I mean, it may, I mean it's starting to track a little bit. <laughs> I'm telling you. See, you thought I didn't know because I mispronounced the name of the town, but I'm telling you, I'm on to something here. I'm gonna have to take a look. I've never heard of that. Um, but hey, it's a small rural town. So okay, who hold knows on. What they were doing. Have you ever heard of Three Springs High School? I have not. Cheney, now this is from Wikipedia, Rick, which is all-knowing as we know, right? Cheney Alternative High School, or Three Springs High School, is a non-traditional high school in the Cheney School District. The school was first used as a missile site, but had been bought by the Cheney School District for $29,000, 
with a graduation rate of 87% and serves students in the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Now, I would. So this is probably there's an Air Force base and a military base not too far that they do. That's where I bet that that uh has come from. Now, did you go? And then there's Betts Elementary School, but you would have been in Tacoma at that time, right? No, I did sixth grade. I moved over, so I went to a good old Salnave Elementary. Okay. Now, now lastly, in 2015, students at Betts Elementary had been removed to Cheney High School after a woman called the school and claimed to have a bomb in the school parking lot. But police officers searched cars in the parking lot and no bomb was ever found. You don't know anything about that, do you? Bomb, 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 No, I... <laughs> okay, uh, I want to make sure. The, the, the weird thing is that. they would have moved him to the, to the high school if the middle school was a former bomb shelter. What are they doing there? I, it's close in proximity. That's about it. <laughs> All right, we'll leave with that. Okay, lastly, um, Rick DeMolding, you thought you were coming on to talk about the Colts. You had no idea we were going to get into Cheney High School, but I will leave you with this for your home state nostalgia. Two-part question. Do the Washington Huskies win tonight, and is it the final game at Michigan for former Colt Jim Harbaugh? I'm going to have my son, who's with me right now, answer who's going to win tonight in the national championship. Who you got, Jeremiah? The Michigan Wolverines. Oh, I, I wow. disagree. I'm going with the Huskies. He is not going to watch the game with me, that's for sure. Um, did you know then, he's a Michigan fan? I did. He, he, I've been rubbing it in him all, all week to say we're going to whip up on him. But honestly, I just want a good game. I don't have that many ties to UW other than I just got buddies that went to school there. Um, and State of Washington got a pull for them for their last Pac-12 season. Um, but, yeah, I think old Harbaugh, he's been coy not saying anything. So there's always that possibility, I think. I think, um, listen, with the money that's going to be thrown around in the NFL for him and with all of the drama kind of circling, my apologies to your son, but with all the drama circling the Michigan Wolverine <laughs> football program, I think it's time to, to bail if you're old Jim, right? But uh, right. we shall see. But it should be a good game, <laughs> and Michael Penix Jr., we'll see if he can do it, the former Hoosier for the Huskies themselves and, and break the heart of your son. But enjoy watching in that split house. Yeah, I'll, I, will, I will rub it in. I have no problem making him feel bad about that. So. I like that. Tough love. Rick, appreciate the time <laughs> as always. Absolutely. Have a blessed one. All right. The pride of Cheney High School, that is Rick DeMullick. Do you know the mascot guys, either one of you guys, for Cheney High School? What would you guess? The Missiles. The Broncos. The Missiles is an excellent guess. <laughs> the Broncos? Um. Oh, I'm looking right here. How about this? A school in Indiana that has numerous state titles and whose coach is up for a national award this year. The Trojans? Jimmy? Think about it, ponder it. It's the same colors as the school as well, and I'll give you the answer on the other side. Cheney High School in Washington, which produced Rick DeMulling as well as Steve Entman. The Blackhawks. And the Sheridan Blackhawks, I saw Kevin Wright, who, of course, was most recently an assistant at Indiana University, coach at IMG Academy, most known, of course, for coaching at Warren Central and um, Lebanon. He was at Carmel, too, I think. Uh, Kevin's a great guy and was an assistant at North Central when I was in high school. But uh, Bud Wright, who is Kevin's father, is up for a national coaching award maybe a, it might have been a hall of national hall of fame 
But whatever accolades come the way of Larry Bud Wright um, are 100%. Is it Larry Bud Wright? I know it's Bud Wright, but um, he is worth anything that comes his way just in terms of the, the guidance, the leadership that he has instilled in so many young people at Sheridan and the multiple championships that they have won. Truly one of the remarkable leaders and coaches in Indiana high school history, no doubt about it. Cold season comes to an end. Pacers in action tonight, taking on, by the way, the Boston Celtics. And Jason Tatum not going to play in that game. That game will be tipping off around the same time as the national championship game, Michigan and Washington. Haven't talked much about that, Jimmy Cook. You will be rooting for who tonight? All in on the Huskies. Been on the Michael Penix train all season long. Yes, the Indiana ties helped there, but he's just a phenomenal watch. That offense, in terms of their wide receiving core, is probably better than some NFL teams. They are a joy to watch, and I want to see them win it all. Eddie, you are rooting for who? I am also rooting for the Huskies. <laughs> I have a pretty cool, I got to see if I still have it somewhere. Did it survive the purge? Purple UW hat. I think it did survive the purge. Yeah. Um, can you guys hear this? Whatever you're kicking, yes, I can't hear that. Yeah, I'm standing up, and there's a there's a piece of can get does that go over the air? Oh, I thought you were kicking the uh, side of the. No, there's like a a, a dead Desk. piece of the hardwood here under me. So when I stand, and I'm already self conscious about my weight as it is, but I'm standing, and this thing's like. Well, Jake, I can assure you, you are not as insulated as I am. I'm like a tap dancer over here. Can you hear that? I can. Yes, feel like you're about to hang out with Jimmy Stewart at all. Is it? No. Is this is what I'm doing annoying right Are now? Are you practicing just, your Irish jig? I tell you what. I mean, the video, like Michael Flatley over here. The video payoff, you collapse through the floor, is going to be <laughs> sensational. I mean, I'm, keep I mean, tap dancing away. You're right. I'm going to be down on the third floor here in just a second. Um, but if you guys have never been, I, I'm telling you, and I know I say this all the time, and I'm saying it rhetorically to anybody listening. If you've never been to the University of Washington, and by no means should you choose like athletic loyalty based on how cool the campus is or the beautiful locale or whatever it might be, but the University of Washington is in such a cool area. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the city of Seattle in general, geographically speaking, but you you have the Cascade Mountains as the far eastern border the Pacific Ocean as the far western border, and then Lake Washington as like the southern border. And when you're at a, at University of Washington's football at Husky Stadium, you're looking before you at the the field, and then you look to your right, and it's just blue water, which is the lake, and then mountains. I mean, it is so stunningly beautiful that you're like, why would anybody go anywhere else? Until of course the weather <laughs> that you see that takes place, but it is. It is just so cool, man. But like, there's a couple campuses that do this. But is Washington? It happened this season because I remember just vividly seeing it on one of the telecasts. Is Washington the campus where they have people that will often dock their boats? Yes. Like, is that lake utilized to have parking correct. towards? It's a huge the, lake. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Very I mean, beautiful. It, it Those is, shots are great. Yeah. You know, obviously, from probably about mid October, maybe November, the last half of the season, the weather would be what you see in Seattle, which is like forty and raining and kind of uh, weather. But I mean, it it is it is beautiful out there, and I've always kind of liked the Washington program. Um, you know, you don't hear as much about it. Of course, now it is so weird to think it's a Big Ten matchup now, right? Or at least a future Big Ten matchup between Washington and Michigan. 
Um, it does feel like Jim Harbaugh, this is his swan song at Michigan. It just seems all signs are pointing to that direction, does it not? I mean, hell, you already had yesterday. Was it ESPN that that did the lower third and fonted John Harbaugh as Jim Harbaugh? The old Freudian NFL yeah. slip right there? No, I mean, it, the way that the news is trending, much like with Bill Belichick, I will believe whatever happens once it happens. Right. But the way it is circling, yes, I would imagine this is the last game he's going to be the head coach at Michigan for. And what we now know is in the NFL, there are going to be numerous spots where if Jim Harbaugh wants to throw his hat back in that ring, there are multiple places that are possible, including the two newest jobs to open up, the Atlanta Falcons and the Washington Commanders, both now with head coaching vacancies. Atlanta's one that you know, Washington just kind of feels like a mess in general. At least you don't have the Daniel Snyder effect anymore, right? But um, but Atlanta feels like they have some pieces. I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like Atlanta's that far off. Although the quarterback position is a big yeah, one, and, the, and you got to find out who your quarterback's going to be, right? If I was in the position to have had the success as a coach, whether it's collegiately with Harbaugh, whether it's professionally with Belichick, assuming that they both are out of jobs or are looking for greener pastures. I would want to go somewhere at this stage in my career, especially for Bill Belichick, where there's already a quarterback in place. And if I'm the Los Angeles Chargers, given what is the state of affairs in the AFC West, and given there is a good chance you do have a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert, you cannot squander this opportunity. It's a pivotal moment in the history of that franchise. I'm doing everything in my power, whether it's Harbaugh, whether it's Belichick, I don't care. Get one of them in there if you're the Chargers and let them work with a quarterback that you've been wasting away for four years I, of Brandon I don't, Staley. Here's the thing. I don't understand. I would, if I'm an NFL owner and my, and this is, I'm almost stunned at myself that I'm going to say this because of this guy's track record. But if I'm an NFL owner, I don't know that what interest I would have in this point of Bill Belichick. Because I think he's a brilliant coach, and he's arguably the most successful coach in American professional sports of the last 30 years. But I think he's a system-building coach. And I think that in order for Belichick to win, he has to kind of build, and, and, and quite frankly, you know, forever we debated, is it Belichick or Brady, Belichick or Brady? Tom Brady was able to get away from Bill Belichick and still go somewhere and win. And Belichick, I think at, uh, there was a time where we thought, okay, with Mac Jones, like, okay, it, it was Belichick because, look, he's sustaining. Sure. And then, ultimately, Mac Jones, I don't think, was able to adjust to defenses, adjusting, you know, to what he where his weaknesses were. You're not winning games with Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. Just right. not doing it. And so, but those were the pieces, and that is the system that, Belichick had built for that, right? And, and all those years of like, oh, the man, the Patriots, they're sure. loading up on these fifth and sixth round picks because the master is going to come out of the lab with yet another great team. I just think that if Belichick is able to again build a winning level like he had in New England, it takes too long and he's too old at this point. That's why you have to go somewhere. where It's, it's it, like Parcells late in his career. Correct. You need to do, and I don't know if this option is out there for him. But you need to do what Brady did, which is once that relationship ended with New England, he is a free agent at that point. And he can take his coaching acumen or for Brady, his quarterbacking ability anywhere he wants. And he went to a team 
that was tailor-made for how he plays, that had some of the top playmakers in the league, that had a really strong defense, and he just happens to be one of, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. All you had to do is plug him in there, and they're rolling. For Belichick at this stage, it can't be he's going to take seven years trying to rebuild something. It needs to be implanting him somewhere where there's already at least established pieces, or at the very least, a quarterback that you can truly build on, and the Chargers fit that mold. That is what Justin Herbert is. Right. He's had four different offensive coordinators every year that he's played in the league. And the main point against, say, Tua a couple years ago, outside of staying healthy, was can he ever be with a coach that's going to give him a fighting chance? That happened in Miami with Mike McDaniels. I know they stumbled late, and maybe you've seen how far you can go with Tua, but they had the right coach leading that quarterback to change things for them as a whole. That's what the Chargers need, whether it's Belichick, whether it's Harbaugh, or somebody else. But that's so what they need right now. The openings right now in the National Football League. Atlanta's open. Yep. Washington's open. Yes. Chargers, right? Correct. Uh, who else we got? Vegas. Okay. Carolina? Carolina, yep. Okay, of those, to me, it's very clear. Of those, most and least desirable. Chargers are most. If you totally are, agree. If you are a glass half full individual, I would say Carolina. That's if you think Bryce Young is a thing. So you're going I, off quarterback, right? I'm going off quarterback. Yep. Then depending on who the general manager is, because that's it's a working relationship, I would say Vegas, and then I would say Washington. Atlanta's okay. Oh, not sorry, in I forgot I forgot Atlanta. Uh yeah, I'd put I'd put Atlanta ahead of Vegas and Washington, but below Carolina. I would put the Chargers as number one. Because you got your quarterback, right? Yes. And it's LA. Oh. Right? The team that I would put second on that list. If I was a head coach, mm-hmm. Washington. Because they have the, what, number two pick in the draft? Yep. So you're going to get a quarterback. You're going to either be starting with... It's a good point. You know, May or Williams, right? I guess that kind of should penalize Carolina for not having that pick because of what they did to go yeah. get Young. I, yeah. Carolina, I, first off, I think there might be some coaches that have seen enough with Bryce Young to go, yeesh, I don't know. That's fair, too. And their owner is a total train wreck. Yeah, I forgot. Mm-hmm. About, okay. and, and they've traded like their entire future away, right? Okay. I, I get to your point. There also might be enough in Bryce Young where people look at right. it and go, look, he he could be Tua, right? Where if you build around him, look at what Tua's been able to do. I mean, obviously, really good player. Now. I'll admit my omission, though. I had neglected their erroneous ways of not having a first-round pick this year. That would impact me a little bit. And, and the you know, owner the, I forgot about. The yeah. Bears, I, I mean, the Bears are brilliant because they have Carolina's first pick, which is number one overall. But the Bears also this year showed just enough competency where instead of drafting like two in the top five, they're now at first and ninth, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and I would, for the if I'm the Bears, kind of irrelevant on Indy Sports Talk Radio, I realize, but I, I actually, and I'm maybe the only one, I actually like Justin Fields. And I think if you get him some weapons, he can be a nice player. I kind of do too. I know. I mean, I think he's a good player. He he can he can make plays with his legs. He can throw. He I mean he doesn't have a whole lot of weapons. You could parlay that first pick into a lot of stuff. And just maybe if they're if they're smart, what if they trade the the first pick 
to Carolina again and get Carolina's like <laughs> next year's number one. Get them coming in, going. And then just keep doing it every single year, right? Keep yeah. doing it over and over and over. By the way, uh, if you want me to start this now, I looked at a mock draft during the break. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. slotted four. So, sort of a conversation there with... Uh, so the Colts have to move up 11 spots. Correct, yep. Are the Colts 15 or 17? 15. They're 15, right? 15, right? 1-5, yes. Yep. Yep. Let's look at... Okay. Again, that's just one mock. Who knows, right? But... So the history of the 15th overall pick in the draft, because people get, uh, the draft always kills me. I, I find it, I love it because people like get so into, you know, like in like the fifth round. I really wish they'd have taken that Texas A&M lineman uh, because, you know, I, I really like his footwork better than da, 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 da. And it's like, come on, man. Are we, are we really doing this? Um Give me a year. Okay, 15th overall draft picks in the NFL draft. Here we go. Bruce Irvin, not a bad pick to Seattle. Mike Pouncey was a 15th overall pick. Brian Cushing, not bad. Albert Hainsworth, there's a good one. The uh, the site that I chose. Uh, Booger McFarland, baby. The site I chose uh, started in 99 with their list. So Okay. Regrettably. Former Colt Ellis Johnson was the 15th overall pick. He was a good player. So I think you can get a good player, right? Malik Probably. Hooker, 15th overall. Was he really? I remember when Malik Hooker, when they drafted Malik Hooker. Ed Reed 2.0. When, when they drafted him, Graham <laughs> Rahal. I was at one of the IndyCar races like, dude, I'm telling you. The guy, they got, he's the biggest ball hawk ever. Like he's going to make, people are going to love him. He's going to make tons of plays. Jason and he wasn't bad, he just was hurt, right? Jason Pierre-Paul. <laughs> Melvin Gordon, Mac Jones. Hey, there you go. Mac Jones was 15th overall. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins as well. RIP. Another Ohio State guy. Yeah. So, see, you can take an Ohio State guy 15th. It just can't be Marvin Harrison yeah. Jr. because he's not going to be around. Trying to see. Um, Mike Pouncey. I said Pouncey, yeah. You did say Pouncey already? I mean, look, Johnson, bottom line is they're going to be able to Gray. get a good player. Yeah. And I don't know this year, and we'll we'll find out more as we move along. What areas this draft has a lot of depth, right? You know the the Colts needs, and we'll 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 certainly get more into this into the off season. But their immediate knee jerk needs, I still think they could use. Um, Where would Edge be on your list of needs? Just curious. There's a follow up to this. I think you could all. I mean, okay. In terms of first round need, though, fifteen. I know you got to see how the board falls, all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah, but like, I think you still go with boy corner. I, I mean, yeah, I would go corner wide out. But again, safety, they're all mock drafts. Safety. Nobody yeah. really knows anything, right? But every I've looked at five mocks so far in the last forty-eight hours. Everybody has edge, which is fascinating to me. Again, that means nothing. It means literally you mean nothing. At fifteen, you know, at for the 15, Colts, you mean edge rusher? Yeah. That's just the one area that, I mean, I, I guess if you're Chris Ballard, like you throw enough darts, eventually one of them's got to stick, right? I mean, they, they've had, they have got, Quiddy Pay has a year left on his deal. I, at times, he's looked pretty serviceable. Then other times, it's like, where is he? Dio, the same thing. I mean, they have yeah. got, look, DeForest Buckner is, I mean, he is a really, really good player. It goes without saying. Samson Ebicom had a solid season as he well. Did. He did, for sure. But but a lot of that is, you know, how much of that is guys benefiting from just from having Buckner along there with them. Once Buckner yeah. starts to slide, then do those other guys either A, like you start to see what they truly are, or B, 
do they themselves kind of regress yeah. because the attention is going away from Buckner? I mean, those are all questions they've got to ask themselves. When you have a generational talent, or if you view Buckner as that, I mean, I I don't know how quickly you say names. Like, I know Aaron Donald didn't have a great year this year, but I don't know how long you leave DeForest Buckner in a list before like Chris Jones or guys like that. When you have generational game wreckers, life gets so much easier for them like to your point, when you're able to have pieces around them that are also able to get active and go after the passer. But for me, look, I'm always an offensive first guy. I would be satisfied if they addressed it in free agency. But if they don't, or if there's too much value with a first pick, I would go wide out or corner for me. Depending there on how is the board a falls. player currently on the Colts roster that I look at it that I look at and I think that he immediately I, I have seen enough to think that this is a guy that they can grow with that answers a question for them and fulfills a need. I'll tell you who that player is and we'll hand it over to John here coming up as well. We come back, Query and Company here on a Monday, 935-1075 the fan. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right. I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day will start first with Pacers Celtics. Give me the Pacers toward the money line. That's at plus 130. No Jason Tatum tonight. We've reported that a couple of times here on the program. And this has been my go-to. I'm going to go with it. I think probably all season long, unless it's just a number two high. I like it tonight. Over 35 and a half total points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton. National championship game. Washington on the money line. Plus 170 is the juice there. And I'll take Michael Penix over 292 and a half total yards through the air. Eddie? I've got a couple of player props in this Pacers game tonight with no Jason Tatum. I like Drew Holiday over 14 and a half points. I was aggressive early against the Pacers, just struggled to get it going as the game went on. And then I will be taking Tyrese Halliburton over 23 and a half points. I think it's a nice bounce back game uh, for the Pacers all-star point guard. When we were talking about just the Colts moving forward, I'll tell you guys the guy that I think I saw this year enough glimpses of that I, I like what he does, and I think he, in any line of work, any business, whatever it might be, any team, you like guys or or people or players that bring something to the table that is unique to the group. And, and the one guy for the Colts, I'm not saying that he's going to be a star, but in this particular season... I think they have kind of interchangeability at the tight end spot with big bodies that are good blocking and short yardage reception tight ends. But the one guy that, to me, looked like a guy that can become an additional receiver for Anthony Richardson and extend the field a little bit from that position is Will Mallory. And we agree on that conversation of if it is a leap forward for him in a Shane Steichen offense, it should be as a tight end one versus a jack-of-all-trades yeah. look that they've done the I mean, last I couple years. I think he years. could be yeah. like, I mean, to use Dallas Clark is a pretty right. big jump, but that kind of a player that can just, you know, the, a yard-after-catch type tight end, which I like. Uh, JMV has Dallas walked Gunner. into... What's yeah, that? Exactly, yes. I don't know. I, I hope he's able to stay healthy because that's been right a big issue. It's a big issue for a lot of guys, right? Yeah, it is. Backup quarterback, too. You guys talk about... They'll keep Menchu, right, as... Depends much on how much as it costs. We were talking about that. I, Jimmy made a really good point earlier, John, where he said, well, I'll just let you address what you said, yeah, Jimmy. I thought it was a good point. About if, if you're going to get into a bidding war with Gardner Minshew, I think you need to stop there, John, because <laughs> yeah. you see, if if the season fails, your chip's all in right now in building around Anthony Richardson. If he goes down again, you know where the 
plane's going to land with Gardner Minshew. Yeah. If someone wants to pay him $8 million, Gardner, have fun. Thanks for your service. If he could come back on a team deal, I'm all for it. I think, to me, I think he comes back unless somebody else maintains he's a starter, which he's not, and we know that. That's but the there might thing. be a I team that thinks back. He could be somebody I, else. John, he could be I, – I do think there's the possibility that Gardner Minshew could become somebody else's Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, like somebody's one-year Band-Aid, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. That is possible. I, I don't see it, but that that's possible. Now, maybe because everybody seemingly has needed a backup quarterback this year, that that will raise the bar on the salaries of the backup quarterbacks now. But I just think if you're the Colts, it's pretty easy to want to to bring him back, regardless of the crappy performance he had on Saturday night. I guess right. So. By the way, for eight million, that's it. We went the entire three hours of the show today without me patting myself on the back for the Jonathan Taylor touchdown run call. You did. (laughs) You had that right, right there, Jonathan Taylor. I said, uh, "Were you surprised that when he was on the field at that moment?" You're right, but which was pretty sweet. uh, And I said to John, "I go, kind of feel like Taylor's about to like uncork a big run, and then it happened." (laughs) But you heard me because, and I was surprised by this. There weren't as many people up there as I thought there were going to be. <laughs> yes, Did you notice there that? Was, there was not. It was kind of weird. See, I mean, it's funny, man. Our friend Hagen and, and AC kind of have this back and forth, and I was hoping to see them fight up there before the end of the year, and I didn't see it. Are they ever in the same time? I like room starting at the same fights time? up there. I try to get Wittelick and Calabro in fights again, like round two all the time. Well, you there. remember the time? I mean, we, you, you've probably talked about it a million times. Well, they got but in a fight at the, uh, the RCA Dome? Uh, you got. It was glorious. You got I loved pulled it. out by the Baltimore Ravens. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Eric DaCosta, he's our yeah. red ass nut. Yeah. He, Their he general manager. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I went to go. It was <laughs> halftime, and I went to go get a piece of pizza. What yeah. year was that, you think? Oh, I. And you know, you know the. You're apology. walking behind me, and they're they've got you cornered. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking this about. Bald, raging, red, you know, red faced dudes all up in my grill. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. But it's what's funny, right? So Ozzie Newsom was running the organization then with the Ravens, and and he was apologetic, not in apologizing, but his apology was sending Chris Hagen an autograph photo. That's right. So was it was it you or Hagen that was wrongly accused? Um, I was Hagen first was wrongly accused, then I was wrongly accused. It was Conrad Brunner who made the comments. So they were they so made the comments regarding uh, the kid from Plainfield, the left tackle on the offensive line, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the Ra- and the Ravens were sitting behind you in the press box. Yes, looked down, and I just remember all I heard was them saying, "I'm telling you, it was the guy with a bald spot." Yes, the guy with a bald spot, and that was that's when I went to WeGrowHairAndy.com <laughs> right after say, that. Yeah, <laughs> they they took care of you, and you were <laughs> the all guy good, with right? The bald spot. I was eating sugar cream pie, but in my own business, man. All that. of a sudden, here comes this idiot, all Eric DaCosta. Loose, man. <laughs> it was. Unbelievable. You remember when they hired Ballard? Eric DaCosta was a part of that. The uh, interview cycle. Then two, I was going, "Good Lord, don't hire this idiot." <laughs> Although he's been really good. For them, right? Considering the success they've had, he's nuts. It was it was an awesome scene, by the way. I was yeah. just standing there, <laughs> witness to all of it. Uh, hey, what do you got upcoming? Um, it's going to be me and Stephen Holder in the five o'clock hour, and I think I'm off thirty minutes early because of the Celtics and the Pacers tonight. Round number two, no Jason Tatum. That is correct, no yeah. Tatum. All right, Johnny, bring yeah. us home. All Thanks, right, guys. Uh, J and V's up next. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening to Quarry and Company here on the Fan.